0: What is going on everybody is yours truly Conor A.K. O.K. Fabe here and welcome guys to episode number eight of the Wrestling Retrospective. It is our podcast where we go deep diving into the careers of the greatest people in the world. Well, greatest, not so greatest, anything in between the careers of the greats in professional wrestling. We go in depth looking at their entire career from start to finish or at the very least the present. And uh, this one is going to be one I'm sure. Uh, I think it's going to be probably one of the most uh, popular ones. It's actually surprising because we did this uh, as part of a fan poll, and this one came in at number two, but just by a hair. Uh, Dean Ambrose, which we did last uh, last month, uh, came in at number one, but this one came in at number two, and I mean just by like a percent or so off the votes. It's kind of crazy, but today we're going to be taking a look at the in-depth career of the late, great uh, Owen Hart of, of course, the Hart family dynasty. Now, this one's going to be obviously, I think, one of our more popular and And sadly, obviously, one of our more emotional ones, given, of course, how we all know um, how this uh, tragic career will come to an end. But we'll get to that in just a minute. But first and foremost, I have to introduce my brother from another mother. He is the silent Bob to my J. I've got with me your favorite person, Jake DeMarco. What's going on, Jake?
1: Snoochie Boochies, baby. We are here and ready to represent. That's right. We're talking about the one, the only, the great Owen Hart. You know, talk about a a full career, full of just you know admiration and love. I mean, beloved by so many. You know, the chant of Nugget is already filling the air. I'm telling <laughs> you, so I've been uh, <laughs> very excited for this one, and uh, and a bit sad too. You know, with his untimely yeah. passing, and just to see how much mis- uh, misinformation there is about his passing out there, and how you know many people don't exactly know what occurred or how everything went down so i mean there's there's just a lot here to cover um, usually i go in and it, you know i ask other people and i i go through polls and all sorts of you know wild breath of information to see what everyone's top favorite moments and matches are and this was a cluster to dive through because so many yeah. people had so many different opinions that varied wildly and uh, I kind of got a unanimous agreement for number
0: one, but everything else was a real mix and match. So it's it's going to be an interesting for the top 10 for matches. There was a lot of t- that. You're right. There was a lot. T- I mean, there's obviously a lot whenever we do these episodes, which is just insane. Uh, but it, it's, it's kind of interesting not only to see like the worldly presence that Owen had, you know, uh, clear up. You're right. A lot of the um, the misinformation or about his passing. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do it all. We're gonna try and get through every, every bit of it, which is going to be a a struggle in of itself. Um, again, you know, the thing that was really interesting to me was that this came in at number two. So we did the poll a couple months ago of like four options and Owen, Owen ran the the lead like towards the top. Like he was number one. For a while, and like he just lost to Dean Ambrose, who we did last month. Uh, now John Moxley, which I'm going to talk about in just a second, um, by like a hair. Like at the last second, he slid yeah. by, and uh, I, I was think I was only surprised that at that. Was,
1: I, I was extremely surprised, but the reason I think that happened was just because Moxley was in the forefront of everyone's minds with him leaving WWE at that point in time, and right. kind of we were unsure about where he was headed afterwards. Right. So there was a lot of fanfare and attention being paid to him walking away from, you know, re signing with the company.
0: Right. Now, uh, just a quick note, obviously, uh, you know, to refer to the last month episode. I know we don't usually do this. Um, we got obviously a lot of positive reactions from the Dean Ambrose episode. Uh, for those of you who are keeping track at home, we obviously do these in monthly increments. So when we recorded the Dean Ambrose episode, he had just left WWE, but he had not done. Um, apparently, you can do a lot of shit in 30 days. Like, good God almighty, like the stuff he pulled <laughs> off. So he obviously <laughs> debuted for AEW Double or Nothing. And and, of course, just a couple of days ago, uh, won the IWGP United States Championship from Juice Robinson. Now, um, Jake will explain also that uh, eventually, probably within the next couple of episodes, we will do a um, an addendum, I guess you could say, or an epilogue to kind of help uh, with the previous res- retrospectives to catch people up to date from when we recorded the episode to present time. So that way we can keep up with... Uh, everything that's gone on. So, I, you know, <laughs> bad timing that we decided to do it right in between when he wasn't doing anything, but we will be doing uh, a catch-up of um, all the other retrospectives. So Dolph Ziggler, X-Pac, uh, The Undertaker, who, man, that was, I'm still having nightmares about that long six-hour show. <laughs> um, uh, John Moxley, Hurricane. We'll do a catch-up probably in the next couple of episodes. So we'll get there. Don't worry. It's just that there's a lot of yeah, catching Ziegler's up
1: to do. a few other things as well. Not much, but a few. His yeah. name has popped up. <laughs>
0: We'll get there. So don't don't you fret about that. But um, now the other thing I also before we get into this, I did challenge uh, Jake DeMarco on uh, unexpectedly and I'm putting him on the spot here. Uh, The next retrospective, a lot of people want to I've actually had a lot of people hit me up and say what the next one's going to be. And so we talked about this right before we got on here. So real fast, lightning fast before we get into uh, Owen Hart. Uh, the next the next retrospective is actually going to be a pick from Jake DeMarco. Jake will actually uh, either pick by himself, maybe he'll reach out to all the awesome people out there. So make sure you hit him up on Twitter at CountdownEnded and uh, follow him so maybe you can help influence his decision about what the next installment of Wrestling Retrospective is going to be. So that one will be coming out uh, for patrons in July. It'll be public uh, in August and then uh, the next one after that. So that'll be episode 9. Episode 10, which I'm really looking forward to, is going to be about the living legend himself bruno Martino that one is huge, going to be
1: huge get there That's that is amazing
0: i've got a surprise or i i have an idea for a surprise that i don't want to spoil yet because i don't i mean jake talked about it before he knows about it so mum's the word but if we can pull it off i think it'll be one of the more uh it'll fun be- interesting episodes we've had As the president says, huge. It'll be huge. Huge, kid. Huge. But that being said, Jake, you ready for Owen Hart? I am indeed. And yeah,
1: you know, just to to top off what you had just said, I'm, you know, very interested to see what people want to suggest for us to cover next. Kind of maybe have somebody influence my. You know, persuade me a little bit, influence my pick, and, and kind of let me know what you want to hear. I have a few ideas myself, so I'm, I'm you know, genuinely curious to see what people want to hear next. And it might, uh, maybe it might coincide with something I'm already thinking.
0: Well, is there, off the top of your head, do you have any ideas?
1: I'm actually not going to share yet. I want to I oh. get people's uh, fresh perspective without any influence from my end. Champ is I don't sneaky. want anyone to agree. I want to I hear, hear what people are thinking. I want to know what's in your insides.
0: That's a power trip thing, isn't it? Jeez, man, you it get is. that champion, you get it that is. championship belt, belt that goes right to your head. Jesus Christ, <laughs> the belt has warped my mind. Good God! But let's let's get into uh, Owen Hart now. <laughs> Owen Hart, of course, part of the legendary Hart family uh, dynasty here. I'm trying to keep track of this because he, <laughs> this is this is the part that really blew my mind the most i didn't really know much about the Hart family like i know obviously the Hart dynasty uh brett um you know bulldog and and it's man what is it about wrestling family trees that are the hardest effing thing to keep track of um it's just difficult it's it's just there's so
1: much to navigate because they usually come from such a a a large family right that's that's really what it comes down to He grew up in a household of 11 siblings. (laughs) Fucking God. My my fiance Courtney, her father's one of seven children. And, you know, you get these family gatherings and, and, you know, you you think, all right, well, seven kids. Well, each one of those kids has, you know, children themselves. Now you have grandchildren and then some even have great-grandchildren. And then who has you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, just friends, you know, it ends up being such an extended family with now you have in-laws because they're married as well. And those in-laws have, you know, possibly children who have been married themselves. So now you have in-laws with the in-laws and it's just like it, it, you know, so you're, you're related to someone in some way, shape or form. So that it ends up being where everybody is your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, or cousin. And it just becomes a mess to try and navigate through. Like you said.
0: Yeah, I was trying to, like, I, I guess the Hart family uh is a little bit easier to navigate than the post to, like, the Anoi family, the Samoan one, which I don't know. Yeah, the Samoan I,
1: lineage is a real cluster. I'm telling you right <laughs> now, if, to navigate. If, anybody
0: suggest, if anybody suggests anyone from the Anoi family, I'm talking Rikishi, Yokozuna, uh, great. I'm giving them suggestions to influence you for next month. Crap. I'm going to have to drink. <laughs> Shit. Okay, moving on. Eleven siblings: Smith, Bruce, Keith, Wayne, Dean, Ellie, Georgia, Brett, Allison, Ross, and Diana.
1: Good can't God. forget about
0: Diana. Can't forget about Diana. Actually, Diana, uh, very close with our uh, good uh, another wrestling commentator, Andre Corbeil. I know I've seen them uh, interview. I've seen him interview her a couple of times. But um, another fellow Canadian. So um, yeah, she was in Stampede Wrestling for a while herself. Diana was. So, I mean, st- you know.
1: A good majority of the children had wrestled in some way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, pretty much you have a heart involved in in wrestling in some way, any any some some aspect aspect of the of the business, one way or another. Um, now, yeah, it,
1: whether it being a booker, promoter, trainer, school teacher, or wrestler themselves, you know, yep. they're all the first, second, or third generation members.
0: So, so let's start off with Owen's first run, uh, his training, and of course his run through uh, Stampede Wrestling and Japan, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. So he was born May 7th, 1965, as you had said, you know, yep. the youngest child of Stu and Helen Hart. He was of uh, Greek descent and his maternal grandmother, you know, is, is Greek and his Irish through his maternal grandfather. So he has, you know, a, a, a bit of a, a mutt about him because he also has some Scott Irish descent and English ancestry as well. So, you know, a real, real mix altogether for heritage. And uh, we we see him first gain wrestling experience in the amateur wrestling division at high school. So that's where he met his his uh, wife Martha actually. So they were high school sweethearts, <laughs> and it was not his first choice to be a wrestler. And Martha later explained this, you know, later on in life. But he tried, you know, to find many other employment opportunities outside of the world of wrestling, and it you know eventually
0: just came to be that that was his calling. Now the interesting part was. When he was in college, he wrestled um, under a mask, and Jake, you can't tell me that's not the great name. Like what? The, what's the name he originally had when he was under the mask? He went by the British Bulldog. Come <laughs> on, you can't talk about like destiny with that one. I mean, good God. I know. From
1: there, he ended up wrestling as Bronco Owen Hart, and that was at uh, Royal, uh, the Royal Albert Hall in London, England. And he wasn't really finding much success, though. So he went on and trained in his father's heart dungeon and worked for his father's federation, Stampede Wrestling,
0: for uh, quite some time. Now, interesting that Royal Albert Hall, they've had a couple of the UK events there uh, from NXT UK recently, right? I think that's where they had, was it the championship tournament? I believe so. I I know it was with one of the the recent shows. Let me um, me just take a look real fast. This is how great... Um, I am well prepared for this crap. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it looks like they, yes, it was, they had a couple of them. It was the, uh, the second show, the second championship tournament where they, okay. they yep, and then, um, Wow, they actually have a time lapse of them like converting the, uh, con- converting it over into the actual arena, which is nuts. I love that. I love that yeah. hall, by the way. That is gorgeous. I kind of wish they beautiful. did that. I kind of wish a they great did...
1: work of architecture.
0: I kind of wish they did their, um, I wish they did that more frequently. But yes, they did that for the 2018 United Kingdom Championship Tournament, um, and then the UK Championships. That's the one where they like officially launched the NXT UK brand. Gorgeous building. It's like a symphony almost like like an, like an opera I opera mean, house. It
1: truly is like an opera house, yeah, it, it's it's got even like a Coliseum look to the outside as well, it's just yes, very historic and beautiful, and you figure it, you know it's a very intimate setting as well as it
0: seats just a little over five thousand. That's it, wow, I'm surprised. it looks like it would hold much more, but yeah, it, but anyways... uh, it holds five thousand two hundred and sixty seven Goddamn. but anyway, it, it also receives no public or government funding. That's another fact. really. Huh? Isn't that gorgeous? I'm surprised. Here you'd see that held up with like duct tape and fucking gum. But anyway, um, so (laughs) after after he wrestled as Bronco Owen Hart in the Royal uh, Royal Albert Hall in London, England, he wasn't too great there. So he was uh, he went to go get trained by his father, uh, the Hart Dungeon, of course, the infamous Hart family dungeon, which is in the Basement of Stu Hart, which really goes to show you, by saying that statement out loud, how intimidating that is. And I've heard so many stories, I'm sure you have too, Jake, about the infamous Hart Family Dungeon, where not only did the entire Hart Family train, uh, but the likes of Chris Jericho also trained, Chris Benoit also trained, Tyson Kidd also trained. Basically, if you were uh, one of the elites as far as wrestling from Canada, chances are you came through the dungeon.
1: Yeah, Sakurada was one of the trainers there, you know, and uh, Mr. Hito after Stu Hart. And, you know, he had a reputation for being one of the harshest and hardest wrestling schools in the world. Graduating from it was considered extremely elite and impressive and something which would be revered by many in the wrestling world. It was also brought up on many uh, televised wrestling shows as a, a, you know, point of graduation. It really showed, you know, a bit of prestige. Right. He also garnered a reputation for being, you know, sadistic in his training techniques. He was known <laughs> to torture his pupils with legitimate submission wrestling holds he had learned as a sports wrestler throughout time. So,
0: damn, I mean, Buddy I, Roberts described the place as a torture chamber. I've heard that before too, and I've heard that especially when it comes to like Stu and like certain submission moves. Like they said, like not just like the other trainers, but Stu specifically, but like. Will would choke you out. That's what I feel like he would they would legitimately yeah. pass you out like no, You're just gonna go in there, and I'm not trying to disrespect Stu like you just go in there and and then like it, they would knock him out like Good God
1: <laughs>
0: You know one of the people
1: that uh You know learned the ways there you, you mentioned Chris Jericho, you know you hear Juice and Thunder Liger Brian Pillman Davey boy Smith Lance Storm Justin incredible edge Christian Mark Henry Natalia obviously and then of course Chris Benoit Benoit said that he took a lot of pride in being one of the last guys that had the hands on training from Stu Hart. Yep. He said it was a good experience just to be there, to imagine all the people that had been through there and all the blood, sweat, and tears that had been paid. You know, he said it was if if, uh, you're wrestling and training with them, if you're a very religious person, you know, it's it's the same as going to the Vatican for a a wrestler.
0: So. So I actually have, you know, I don't want to harp too long on this, but I actually have the list of all the people who have. Come out of there, and I'm going to try and rapid-fire because there's some interesting names in here that I didn't even know until I just pulled this up. But, of course, you mentioned Mr. Hito, uh, Sakurada, uh, Sakurada uh, Stu, obviously. Um, people coming out of there who have trained there. Abdul the Butcher. Um, Brian Pillman, another name I completely forgot about. Benoit, Jericho, we just mentioned earlier. Christian. Davey Boy Smith, David Hart Smith, no real shot there. Dynamite Kid, Edge. Fritz Von Erich. Now, that interested me. That was different. I didn't expect him name
1: yeah, Billy Jack Hayes, George Scott, Gorilla Monsoon, Greg Valentine, Dean Hart, Smith Hart, Ross Hart. I mean, all the Harts. Honky Tonk <laughs> Man, Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts was another one that I was unaware, actually. Yeah, right. I didn't know that either. Good stuff. Um, you know, obviously, the Night Hearts, uh, uh, you know, Junkyard Dog. As we said, Ken Shamrock, Lance Storm,
0: you know, I, the, the list just goes on and on. Nikolai Volkoff, Roddy Mark Piper. Mark Henry. You know, Steve Blackman, that one kind of popped out for me. And then Superstar Billy Graham? Yeah. Interesting. You
1: know, that, that was very interesting, especially
0: with uh, <laughs> his mouth getting him in trouble. Seriously. But, yeah, so, I mean, obviously the, the legacy of the Hart Family Dungeon, very huge, very successful. And Owen, no doubt. I mean, you know, you think of... Because when I think of the dungeon, I always think of like just like the hearts and then like Benoit Jericho and a couple of other Canadians, and then you hear like all these other names, like holy crap! So obviously him coming out of there, graduating, uh, he then started to work uh, and and remained in Stampede Wrestling for the next couple of years while still kind of learning the the tricks of the trade. So training at the Heart Dungeon, but still working at Stampede because really Stampede was like. The, I don't want to say it was the only Canadian promotion, but it's, it might have well has, have been only. You know what I mean? Like it was the only real big um, Canadian promotion. promotion. Yeah, it was really it.
1: And one of the, you know, in contrast to, you know, other descendants, Stu never took money for training services in the dungeon itself. He did it all for the love of wrestling. He wanted to see professional wrestling in that, you know, vein that he taught uh, live on throughout the history of time so he wanted to see what he taught be continued to be practiced so they used the money from stampede wrestling obviously to continue with the heart dungeon but that's why it was in his basement you know that's
0: why it was it was done in such a minimalist way good to know i did not know that very good well see this is why jake's on the show because he can do amazing research this is why he's (laughs) the champ tag team in it baby Boom! Ooh, that sounds that sounds even more fun. Anyway, so of course, going in Stampede for a couple years. In 1986, Hart team with Ben Basarab. I hope I'm saying that right. And won the Stampede Wrestling International Tag Team titles. Good God, that's a long name for a championship. Uh, the success of the team and Hart's in-ring skills earned him PWI's Rookie of the Year award in 1987. After he and uh, him and Basarab lost the tag team titles, he then feuded with Johnny Smith and the Dynamite Kid. Now, this is kind of where things get interesting because. I think most people think, and again, maybe maybe not the hardcore fans. Obviously, hardcore fans will know this better than than, than most. But I think most people think, okay, Owen Hart, Family, Wrestling, Stampede, WWE, boom. Like, that's it. There is a lot more in between, including a run in Japan, which I didn't even know about.
1: Yeah, I was unaware of this as well until I took into, you know, took in for some of the research. So, uh, you know, it was, it was in, you know... Early 1987, Hart had branched out to Japan where he wrestled for New Japan Pro Wrestling on several tours. You know, he wrestled many others and then he uh, debuted uh, both before and after he debuted the Juice and uh, Thunder Liger gimmick. Uh, You know, he faced Yamada then. And it was actually on May 27, 1988, that Hart defeated uh, Hiroshi Hase for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, becoming the first non-Japanese wrestler to win the title. And you figure with being the first non-Japanese wrestler in New Japan to win that title, that would be more, you know, widely known. But that's, that's something that I was unaware of until I dug in for the research. His reign would only end, you know, a month later. But. Still, I mean, being the first, you know, non-Japanese wrestler to, to capture the gold, I figured that would be, you know, more
0: a monumental uh, staple of his career. I think WWE just doesn't really like to mention Japan that much. <laughs> I think, like, honestly, they, like, you, you very but rarely— the wrestling verse as a whole,
1: that's not something mm. that I ever hear brought up. I mean, that's a—because that's a, at that point in time, you know, New Japan was basically for Japanese-based wrestlers only. You didn't see anyone from the West branching out and being successful there at least not to the, you know, the, the scale that we see it today. It was very, you know, few and far between for people to find any form of success. Unless, of course, they were sponsored heavily, but that's a different story altogether. So part what, of success na- in Japan, Stampede, you know, continued on from...
0: What's the name of the um, a non-Japanese wrestler in Japan? It's like uh, Gaijin? or um, Oh, it's going to bug me now. Uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, there's a name for, like, non... Um, non-japanese wrestlers who are wrestling in new japan like a gaijin yeah yeah i think that's yeah but that's crazy to think that like he was the first gaijin to win the iwgp junior heavyweight title which really well maybe not so much then but especially now is a very important championship and and you know new japan now has so many freaking championships with like the introduction of the intercontinental the u.s and so many other ones that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but you know, back then, I would think, especially because Japan was kind of them, and Mexico were the only ones really like showcasing them. That's a, that, that you're right. That is a freaking huge deal. Um, so I'm surprised it's not. You're right. It's not like uh, spotlighted more, to to say the least. Um, you're right. His his reign would only lend uh, uh, end only a month. But here's the here's an interesting part. So Owen actually went to WWF after this in 1988 so mind you this is around wrestlemania uh right before no right after wrestlemania 4 um that he would go to wwf now obviously his run wasn't more uh well known until about three or four years later but it's interesting to know that he actually had a very brief run in wwf um from 88 to 89 which i completely forgot about
1: yeah I had, I had forgotten that as well until you know again bringing that up for the retrospective and uh, just so you know you are right it is gaijin i i i knew that was on the line of it but that's you know in japanese it means foreigner so you like, it hit on the the head there. yeah you know it's just things we've heard but you can't remember when putting on the spot so yeah i i you know i totally forgot that he had a, a brief stint Instead of being promoted as, you know, Brett's younger brother, they decided to create a masked superhero-type gimmick, you know, and that would eventually be the Blue Blazer. It was initially called the Blue Angel, but, um, you know, this would be his superhero gimmick where he would be a kind of buffoonish superhero, so kind of like the anti-hero of sorts. He wanted kids to, you know do well and succeed in life. You know, it was a drink your milk and vitamin, you know, take your vitamins kind of idea, but it was more lampoonish than that. Remember, 88. Yeah, so it fit with the time, and it started to get over somewhat. I mean, we saw him, uh, you know, defeat the likes of Terry Gibbs, Steve Lombardi, Barry Horowitz, and then he made his pay-per-view debut at Cyber Rivers Series 1988, and he was teaming with the Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, uh, Jim uh, Brunzel, and Sam Houston. They took on the team of the Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, Outlaw, Ron Bass, Bad News Brown, and the dangerous Danny Davis. And he was unfortunately eliminated by Valentine, but his team went on to win the match. So he continued to wrestle for a little while then, too, in the mid card, often uh, defeating enhancement talent, but often falling short against the other, you know, top talent. So he lost to Ted DiBiase, and uh, he was also defeated by Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 5.
0: So it really wasn't much of a run other than doing, you know, the this this pre you know the, the very first incarnation of the blue blazer I actually just sent a, a photo over to Jake in our uh, little private chat here um and it's not too much different from the original or sorry the the later incarnation of of the blue blazer which it, it just, yeah the outfit
1: it, looks close to the same there's there's a few differences later on
0: but I feel like the, the the new one is a lot better because this one just looks like such a huge parody with like a giant like like a bird or something on the front of it. Like it's like a Falcon or some kind. It's, it's, it's weird. Uh, But again, 1988, Vince is just throwing things against the wall, thinking of marketing. So he can't really, can't really hold him for it. But yeah, so basically in like the summer of 88, all the way up until WrestleMania five, couple of small things here and there just primarily lower card um as blue blazer nothing really any anything major other than like just defeating Han- handsome enhancement like jake said so unfortunately it didn't last long there so he decided to return back to stampede um and just left uh left to tour the world with both with and without the blue blazer gimmick, which I thought was very interesting. They actually decided to keep it with him. In some cases, he returned to stampede until it shut down in 1989 of December or sorry, December of 1989. Uh, but in 1991, Hart lost the blue blazer mask in a mascara contra mascara mask, which is of course Spanish for mask versus mask against Mexican wrestler El Kanek. I hope I'm saying that right. Thus bidding farewell to of course the blue blazer gimmick, at least for now but he also did a uh, brief run in japan uh returning back to new japan for wrestling in 1990 he also went to germany and wrestled for catch wrestling association so at this point you're like okay we're caught up now he left wwe he did a brief run as the blue blazer didn't really do that well okay fine how you do he comes back does a couple of you know works for stampede obviously until it shuts down does another run of japan like okay fine now he's a podcast all in one place. If you guys want to get in on it, make sure you download the free Anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started. Now he's going to WWF, right? Wrong. And this is another one that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe I missed this part.
1: Yeah, I mean, you figure he was so just downtrodden at that point and he was really upset with how he was being booked in the company with WWF. And he voiced his concerns repeatedly to his brother, to, you know, other talents that he wanted to be himself. He kind of wanted to get away from the gimmick or at least have the gimmick be taken more seriously. You know, he didn't want to be seen strictly as an enhancement talent. You know, he was okay with some of the slapstick comedy angles, but he, you know, didn't want to be treated just as as a nothingness and a nobody. And no one was really willing to give him that much of a shot. They knew that he was good in the ring, but they didn't realize the the, you know, the presence that he had at this point. So, as you said, he went to you know new japan and and went elsewhere. He did the mask versus mask match, and he you know stripped away the gimmick and then suddenly, as you said, surprisingly enough, uh, Mr. Bischoff calls, and we end up in w c w so look you know lo and behold we're we're, we're heading down
0: <laughs> down south, and we 're going to join the likes of world championship wrestling now granted, he wasn't there very long, obviously, but again, another wrinkle of this whole lengthy uh you know you're gonna hear me and jake say it so many times not just here but in obviously other episodes where like you think of like the history of these individuals and you're like oh okay and, you know and, and you think you know everything or you think you at least know most of it but there are like other wrinkles of it. it's like yeah owen hart actually had a very brief stay in World Championship Wrestling in 1991. It didn't really last long because technically a deal was never struck. He did show up and debut on the TV show on March 16th, 1991. First of five TV matches he actually competed in, which were uh, all against preliminary talent such as Mark Kyle. Um, I think Ricky Morton he teamed up with once. Uh, But he had been engaging in contract discussions with WCW, but the deal was never officially struck as he, surprisingly, Owen was actually not willing to move himself and his family to Atlanta. So instead... He decided to go back with his brother and decide to somehow finagle his way in, and he actually made himself back into WWF for a second time. Now, in this case, um, uh, we had obviously Brett and Jim Ninehart were doing the Hart Foundations, but at this point, they actually had split up. So Brett was now starting to use his singles career. So he was kind of doing along the lines of the uh, pushing the mid card Intercontinental title. And then they had Jim Ninehart who really wasn't doing a whole lot either at the time, so when Jim returned back from a storyline injury, they formed a tag team with Owen to formerly known them as the New Foundation.
1: Yeah, from here, you know, you like you said, Brett was, was out essentially on his own, working more as a solo act, and Neidhart needed, you know, someone to work with, therefore, Owen, perfect person to, to make the New Foundation with. And they first feuded with the Beverly Brothers. Then they had their only pay-per-view match at the Royal Rumble in January 1992, where they beat none other than the Orient Express. Yep. Then Jim left the WWF shortly afterwards, and Owen set out on a very short run as a singles wrestler, including a match at WrestleMania 7, or excuse me, WrestleMania 8 against Skinner. So shortly after WrestleMania, though, Hart was teamed up with Coco Beware to form the duo known as High Energy. They were fun to watch together, so they, they always, you know, had a lot of funny enough high energy. They only had uh, the one pay-per-view match as a team, but they did have some other tape matches, and at the Survivor Series uh, that year, they lost to the Head Shrinkers. The team was quietly dropped at the start of 1993, with Hart starting a singles career. And so, then this is where things get really fun. Yeah, and you, you figure, so you, you kind of take that, you know, last two years in the retrospect, I you know he hasn't done much 91 92 you you see nothing really happened for him he he gets you know out, out of WCW never really given a chance to shine there only making it you know with the the few uh, tape tv matches and then he goes ahead and makes it back in WWF only to be used as a tag team wrestler he gets put into two different tag teams which both get unceremoniously broken up and you know so again that that headspace that he was in before starts to sink in again But he was uh, given some great advice by some of the wrestlers in the back and told to, you know, stick it out and that his time was coming. And as you said, this is where it really starts to get interesting.
0: Right. But before we actually get into more of his career, there is one thing I wanted to mention um, because I don't think we'd ever would really talk about this, or at least we wouldn't until the end. And I am too giddy to wait. Um, So before we get into uh, Owen's lengthy singles run and subsequently his really the piloting beginning of his feud with Brett. One thing that I definitely researched because this is very infamous in the wrestling world was Owen Hart loved ribbing people. And yeah,
1: he was the ultimate jokester.
0: Yes. He had a lot. He was actually known as the King of ribs. And I, I tried to, to dig up some stories of a couple of Owens, great ribs. And I remember there was one that was told, uh, and I have a couple of them pulled up here. Uh, with uh, him and Mister Fuji were the two big ribbers of, of WWF back at that time. And there's a lot of them because they would they would out prank each other and they would do some really crazy stuff. And there's two stories I just want to share real quick, and I'm sure we'll share some other ones if Jake is, has found some down the way. Uh, the first Indeed one I have. Oh, perfect. So we'll we'll get to this. I want to spray because I feel. I feel bad because obviously I think we we all know where this is where the story of, of Owen's career is gonna go. So I want to make sure I sprinkle in a lot of the good humor nature because some of these are just these are fantastic. These are great stories. So the first one I wanted to share was um, when Owen ribbed Vince. Uh, I guess there was some sort of segment that involved livestock, and Mark Henry was actually the one telling this one because Mark and Owen were were also very close. We'll 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 talk about him also at the towards the end of everything um and there was a segment that involved like a livestock like there was a pig pen or something like that and and blah 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 so when the truck came to unload the livestock the guys like where do you want like the pigs and the chickens and and all that stuff and and just before the stagehand could get to the delivery guy to point them in the direction of where the animals go Owen steps in and says no no come over here and they put all the livestock and the animals in Vince's office so Vince <laughs> Vince, who didn't know any better, he opens the door and he just sees like chicken and hay and pigs and everything in his office. And he's like and he and he knew he knew exactly who did it. And like, damn it who did this. <laughs> just <laughs> that's simple things like that I just loved. And um there's an- He
1: was all about always having a good time and, and making people, you know, laugh. That's that's what he was one of you know, in, in as far as the you know, the wrestlers would say, he was always about you know bringing about a good time He wanted to elevate people's moods And that certainly Was a, a characteristic a trait of his That you know was a gift bestowed upon Him because there was a lot of times where people weren't In you know the best of ways And he was very very helpful to those situations So no matter where you were it was always an adventure With Owen
0: yes and the other One I'll share real quick was about actually ribbing Mr. Fuji what one thing he was very known He was notorious for doing was Calling people um, in the Hotel rooms Late at night and really, and really messing with them. Uh, apparently, there was one time where, like, he called Mr. Fuji and he did, like, this punk kid voice to challenge him, like, come down and I'll kick your ass. And, and, uh, Mr. Fuji would literally, like, run down to the lobby wearing nothing but his kimono at three in the morning and saying, like, you know, what are you doing? And he'd be half asleep and the other, some, some kid just came down and said he kicked my ass and just working him up to it for no, for no good reason just to mess with him. Now, obviously, you couldn't do that nowadays, but with caller ID and stuff, but, uh, Yeah, he would just constantly like harass people. I think there was another person who said, like, he'd just call over and over and over and over and just make sure they didn't sleep. Like, he would call every 10 minutes, or he would purposely go to the like, he would find out another uh, wrestler's um, room and request a wake up call every 15 minutes. So, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, in hotels, you can actually call and say, hey, like I'd like an alarm set where you call the room and it will wake me up at like 7.15. He would find out certain wrestlers room and like, hey, can you make sure you put this room and have a wake up call uh, at 7, 7.15, 7.30, 8, you know, like every 15 minutes just to make sure they did not sleep a wink.
1: You know, he would find ways to, to, you know, mess with the guys and never in a way that, like you know, destroyed anybody's lives. But it was certainly something that you can always look back and laugh at. And a lot of people said that even if they got mad at that point in time, they would always look back fondly later on. It was never anything too harsh or severe. It was just enough for, like, you know, stop messing with me. And as I started to say before, you know, people having a bad day, he was able to turn it around by doing something silly. Uh, Jim Ross says here that he was having a long day in his makeshift office in an arena when he was in charge of the talent roster. And he had an extended conversation with someone that was having substance abuse issues. So WWE was uh, suspicious, WWF then that someone was you know using narcotics or or drugs or the like. And the, you know the rumor kind of spread throughout the locker room. So Owen saw that my door, Jim Ross says, had been closed for several hours. And I catch Owen coming down the hall, stumbling, bouncing off the walls, jumping all over the place. I get up close to him, and he's got this white substance under his nose like he's been doing cocaine all night. Obviously, Owen was not a drug user. Long story short, he'd gone to the dessert table at Catering, got a powdered donut, and covered it all over his nose trying to cheer (laughs) me up. You know, and he'd come by saying, you had a rough day. A lot of us appreciate what you're trying to do to help the guys. So he takes a a shitty situation and and makes light of it, you know. Yeah makes everybody laugh. You know, he would do things with drivers and and people's cars. You know, there was one time, uh, this is uh, when he ribbed Val Venus's driver and Jeff Jarrett in a car, you know, where he, you know, they were watching Owen. He had a driver and he was in the passenger seat and Jeff Jarrett was in the back seat behind Owen. And as they are going up the ramp to a drive out from the bottom of the arena, all you hear on the top of the roof of the car is whack. And Owen looks over to the driver and he says, that guy up there just threw a rock down on your car. So the guy stops the car on the ramp, gets out of the car, runs up the ramp, runs around at the rail, and charges at the guy. Owen pointed it out. Well, a cop steps out in front of the driver and says, whoa, this guy didn't throw any rock. The guy with the blonde hair in the car hit the roof of your car with his hand. <laughs> you know, so like, he would just <laughs> send people on a wild goose chase. And-
0: <laughs> He's like Jeff.
1: Why'd you hit the top of the car? And Owen blamed it all on Jeff Jarrett. You know, so that was great. And it's just oh, like, that's good because the cop said the blonde guy did it. So Owen's immediately saying, Jeff, why did you hit the top of the car? You know, and <laughs> just blaming everybody else. I know but there there's was... so many stories. It, I'll do. It's I'll, great.
0: I'll do one more, and then we'll we'll circle back because I have a, I have a list of them. There was one that said um, Brett and Austin were. Uh, remembered being on an international tour of India when Owen hit a can of sardines under the ring before rolling underneath mid-match, dipping his hands into them, and then, of course, uh, proceeded to have the match with Brett by putting his brother in the camel clutch. So, of course, his hands are covered in, like, nasty sardines as he's doing this camel clutch. So, of course, Brett can't do anything to avoid it. And he's just got his mouth and his nose and his everything just covered in sardine juice and just ugh, oh, like who does that? Who who goes out, puts a sardine can into the ring so they can dip it later and then just, uh oh, good stuff. Like little things like that, you're right. Not, not anything horrible, but just enough to get a laugh, which I just, I always appreciate. But we'll, we'll get back to some, <laughs> to some more Owen Hart ribs. I, I, I got one
1: more quick one. This, this is my favorite, really quick. Uh, Go for it. Ahmed Johnson was, you know, really becoming, uh, you know, successful, getting his big break. And Owen, with his, you know, great, voice hiding and changing skills calls johnson and tells him that in a hidden voice that he's going to be on the tonight show with jay leno (laughs) so um, i'm going around bragging to everybody you know i'm going to be on leno i'm going to be on leno you know i'm going to get mainstream respect he goes out and buys a brand new four thousand dollar suit as well as uh, some jewelry to accompany his new you know looks and he was told that a limousine would be there to pick him up at eight o'clock and take him to the television studio. So then he's outside waiting and, you know, standing there, and the limousine's running late. And you know, Johnson w- was surprised to see Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith appear and say, "Oh, what are you up to?" And you know, Ahmed says, "Oh, I'm I'm waiting to go to the television studio." And both Owen and Davey, they you know, <laughs> they they act like they're jealous, like, "Oh, that that's terrible. You're going to Leno. I wish we were going." And then eventually he put two and two together, and you know he, he said by that point, <laughs> Owen dick. was rolling on the floor, laughing. He's oh. like Johnson became suspicious because he hadn't told anyone you know as far as wrestlers you know that he was going yet, and he, once he saw them there acting all jealous, he knew, but he was livid, so good, so good we'll, so we'll, good.
0: we'll definitely tell some more towards like the the later half of this, but I wanted to make a point when we talked about Owen because that's one thing that he was notorious about and man, the the cleverness of some of these are just so good, but let's get back to the wrestling side of things, let's talk about now Owen is in his second run WWE, uh, or WWF, he's no longer part of the new foundation, Jim Neidhart has left the company, so now he's starting his singles run uh, his real singles run as Owen Hart, so it's middle of 1993 and that's when Bret Hart's feud with the Lawler started off, which actually honestly, in that time frame, probably an underrated feud, I went back and watched some of the stuff with Bret and, 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 uh, and Lawler and, and you don't really think of. I personally think that a lot of fans think of Lawler, you know, commentating and not really doing a whole lot of in-ring stuff. But in the mid '90s, he was pretty not as active as he was back prior to, but still had some interesting stuff. I remember like Jerry Lawler and Su- like insulting Stu and Helen Hart, uh, which were some really like. If you love Lawler's one-liners on commentary, you will love him as a heel. He's fantastic, like full-on heel. Yeah, he really garnered some great heel
1: heat at that point.
0: So, of course, Owen standing by Brett's side the entire time and fought Lawler um, in the, uh, the USWA, where, of course, most uh, WWE talent were considered the heels. Owen won the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship. What's with his long title names? Uh, From a good old Papa Shango, Uh, Owen's participation in the WWF versus USWA feud was cut short, of course, when he suffered a knee injury in the summer of 93 and was forced to take some time away. So he then later returned in the ring in the fall of 93 um, when, of course, uh, Brett's feud with Lawler was kind of on the shelf for a little bit. So Brett, along with Owen and their brothers, Bruce and Keith, were scheduled to face Lawler and his team at Survivor Series. However, Lawler wasn't able to make it to the show and, of course, then couldn't make it on television. So, therefore, Lawler was replaced with Shawn Michaels. Some people might remember there was a pretty decent build uh, going into the Survivor Series. It was kind of a weird, like last minute switcheroo. It was kind of weird. But during the match, Owen and Brett inadvertently crashed into each other, causing Owen to be eliminated from the team. Then, Owen showed up later, uh, showed up after the match and had a heated conversation with, like, confrontation with Brett while Keith, Bruce, Stu tried to calm things down. Confrontation went absolutely berserk. Uh, I mean, It left Owen leaving the ring to booze while his brothers and father watched in dismay as Helen, of course, cried at ringside. And then the following night, Owen adopted the pink and black tights, sunglasses, and sharpshooter finisher, much, of course, like his older brother, Brett. Owen, angry with being in Brett's uh, Brett's shadow, challenged his uh, brother to a match, which Brett absolutely declined. Um, But uh, this was really good stuff. I love this. This and... was
1: this was so good. I remember seeing Owen, you know, and he goes ahead and he does, uh, you know, the same thing his brother would do. He goes up to the kid, you know, to give him the glasses front row. And then all of a sudden he snaps the glasses in half and breaks it into little pieces. And you see the child just looks so devastated. And I'm like, <laughs> as a young kid then, I'm like, you're evil. Like, that's so good. I, I couldn't help but enjoy it. I, I, you know, went back and forth between faces and heels. And that was just a, a magic moment for sure.
0: It was so simplistic, and and we—I think we say this all the time on all our different shows, like on Out of Nowhere, on my stuff, you know, Joe's stuff. How booking simplistically can really is really big money makers. Like that to me, the simpler, the the easier the booking, um, the easier people are going to understand and relate to, and. Now I'm a, I'm an only child, so I can't relate. But who who is a brother? You know who is a a younger sibling in the older sibling's shadow that can't live up to it. You can't tell me they wouldn't relate to that moment. It was so simple, so even easy. only children
1: can get into that. You know, like you said, it's so easy because, you know, everybody's had a, a best friend that they've been at odds with, or you know, even if it's not a sibling, it could be a family member or a schoolmate. You know, everybody's had a moment where they're jealous or they they feel, you know, like they they didn't have things go their way. And like you said, not just booking simplistic, but with a sense of realism where you're able to convey your message by having you as the viewer walk in their shoes. That was huge. And that was about the time that things started to change a bit, you know, And, and we saw a little, you know, we still saw a lot of the comedic gimmicks and angles and stuff, but there was a bit more realism coming about as well. So.
0: I just loved how you know again the simplicity of this all the the emotion it was just very easily done and again owen's now going out there he didn't want to be in his brother's shadow but towards the end you know that, that was survivor series of 90 Three, that was Survivor Series 93. Now we're going into the holidays towards the end of 93. It seemed like everything w- was going fine. Like it was just, you know, Br- Owen challenged Brett. He was heated about the, the Survivor Series finish. So it seemed like everything was fine. Even Brett was trying to make amends with Owen teaming with him on a somewhat regular bra- basis. In fact, they even had like a, a, a shot at the tag team titles. Uh, they faced the Quebecers for the tag team titles of the Rumble in 94. Uh, initially everything was fine between the brothers, but then when Brett hurt his knee, storyline, um, he was unable to tag Owen in for a long period of time. Owen started to get frustrated. When the referee stopped the match due to Brett's knee, Owen's, Owen just snapped. No pun intended. He kicked his brother in the knee and then walked off berating Brett on the Titantron shortly after as Brett was helped backstage. This of course started his official run as a full blown heel. After the act, uh, Owen accused his brother of being selfish and holding him down, Owen admitted that it felt good to take out his brother. And, of course, this all culminated um, at a huge match. Um, I mean, I'd arguably say his biggest match of his career. And I'm pretty sure I was looking through some of the lists. I believe everyone considers this to be the best Owen Hart match of his career. And, of course, we're talking him versus Bret at WrestleMania 10.
1: Yeah, like you said, you know, not to spoil the list, but I I did say before, you know, it was pretty unanimous for everyone's choice and number one match. And the the two had become enemies, as you said, you know, Survivor Series with him being, you know, Owen being the only one eliminated. And this went on for years of, of, you know, little bits and signs of jealousy coming from Owen. But after two months of just incessant goading and, and Brett reluctantly agreeing to wrestle his brother, you know it, it, there was so much animosity and, and tension there that it just made for the perfect match in so many ways you know brett had co-won the rumble match along with lex luger so you know we would see brett wrestle twice that night and it, it was just uh, you know a, a whole another level of of excitement it, it really set wrestlemania ten apart for many 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 different reasons so and nope. and this was a stunning display of technical prowess. You know, this tore the house down and made it nearly impossible, you know, as an opener for the rest of the crowd, you know, card to follow, you know, they, they worked a very different match and different style, you know, than than most of the other people on the card as well. So the Madison square garden crowd, you know, couldn't help, but cheer them both. And even Owen's offense would be too flashy for them not to respect.
0: Yeah. WrestleMania 10 was a unique one. So, I mean, You try, it is interesting, you know, a lot of us have social media, obviously, and it does make me wonder sometimes, like if you took some of these things that happened back then and applied them now how people would react. You know what I mean? Like people like flipping their tables and you know, uh, hashtagging everything like crazy. And I mean, listen, I'm guilty of it too, but it is just interesting. And think of it this way, right? WrestleMania 10. So it's the decade anniversary of the biggest show in WWE's history and arguably re- arguably wrestling history. I know Starcade came first, but semantics. You have Owen and Brett Who have the really big, deep seated personal rivalry that you can literally taste? It's that good. I argue, say it's probably the best thing they had going on as far as like a storyline at that time. It opens. It opens WrestleMania. It opened the show. Now, I mean, I get it, card wise, it made sense why they needed to do that, but like Owen beats Brett and then Brett goes on to win the title in the main event
1: and and this you know effectively makes owen the number one contender after brett regains the championship you know later that night and as i said it was so hard to follow this match because they both wrestled such a unique style and they even decided to change it on the fly to have owen wrestle more of a nastier heel worthy style because they wanted that that perfect baby face versus heel dynamic and that's exactly what we got i mean it was 20 minutes of picture perfect wrestling you know, the, the excellence of execution from both of them was was just, uh, you know, truly inspiring feats of athleticism, so.
0: I think the best thing, you know, not to take away, I mean, WrestleMania 10 was so good. You had that, you had the the ladder match, I mean, good God. But the thing that I really liked, again, the, for me, devil's in the details. So you had a killer match between these two guys. You had Brett winning the title, and Brett's being, you know, hoisted upon his shoulders, holding the championship proud. And there's Owen, who, who, who beat him in the beginning of the show, looking up at his older brother with so much jealousy. Like, ah, I miss that kind of good storytelling. Like, come on now. Yeah, and they you were know?
1: pushing Luger so hard at this point, and he just wasn't connecting really as as much as you know, the you know the higher-ups wanted him to so right. to see this naturally evolve in the background and the fans just gravitate towards breath and then display such emotion in this match it, it was just this, so this perfectly embodies everything that everybody loves about pro wrestling
0: so good so now owen is determined to be uh the biggest and best heart of them all in fact uh, Owen, not too long afterwards, would win the King of the Ring tournament, beating Razor in the finals uh, with an elbow drop to the back, with an assist from Jim Neidhart. And afterwards, Owen would now pick up the moniker as the King of Hearts. Which, come on, come on, so good. So you have so it, ah,
1: <laughs> couldn't couldn't you know encapsulate that better ourselves? It just fits perfectly. So and that's um, one of those times where I really wish, looking back, that. He was able to uh you know achieve even more success than what he saw. It's just it's baffling that he didn't, you know, reach higher acclaim.
0: That is one thing that um uh a lot of people commonly say about, about Owen is that not just like you know deserves to be in the hall of fame, but he's he's another one of those guys. And you know, we're we're gonna probably encounter a lot of these when we do these wrestling retrospectives of people who we think that Man, they should have gotten a little bit more. I mean, we did that with Dolph to an extent, you know. We we did the first retrospective. I'm sure that we get to people like, you know, maybe like a Roddy Piper or something like that. That people who should have even been, even Hurricane, yeah, yeah, right. Even Hurricane. Like you go back, you go like, wow, that really was good stuff. Why didn't they do, um, you know, um, why didn't they do more with this? You know what I mean? So it is it is kind of baffling, especially with so much stuff from, um from uh owen and it's actually funny i was i was looking at this i was looking back at this because i wanted to make sure i gave this the right record and to my knowledge and i could be wrong here i believe the owen hart bret hart match is one of the first two ever dave meltzer five-star matches in wwe
1: i believe you're right there um because you know they they had Their feud continue, you know, and they would clash many times, both in singles and tag team matches when Brett joined by, you know, the British Bulldog when he returned. And two of the prominent matches took place, you know, in this feud was their steel cage match in the co-main event of SummerSlam. And that was for Brett's WWF World Heavyweight Championship, which Brett won. And that match received the five-star rating from Meltzer. And the second was the Lumberjack match, and that was August 17th. And that Owen initially won and was announced as WWF World Heavyweight Champion. But, big but here, Brett won the match after it was ordered to continue due to interference. So, I mean, a lot of controversy there for the second one. But as you said, I believe that was the first true five-star rating from Meltzer in WWF at that point in time.
0: Right. I think it was that one. Maybe Michaels and and Razor at WrestleMania ten might have gotten the first. I c- I can't remember which one got. Well, either way, it's one of the very first few five star matches from Melter for WWE. So just interesting that that happened. Um, and that fact that, um, uh, you know, it's Owen and Brett. I mean, can't can't go wrong with that one. So going on um, Survivor Series, Owen uh, struck the most damaging blow against Brett as he conned his own mother into throwing in the towel for Brett. You, I miss this type of writing. The, the, the move cost Brett the world title to Bob Backlund, so just want to back up here. Owen's so bitter about his brother Brett that he, he, he tricked their mother, not just his, like their mother, into forcing Brett to, 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 to throw in the towel at Survivor Series. Isn't that ironic? Um, against Bob Backlund. <laughs> Jerry Springer, <laughs> is- you know. Jerry Springer, like all over this, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, really. Talk about backwards at that point.
0: So Owen uh, also prevented Brett from regaining the title of the Rumble 95 when he interfered in his match and uh between Brett and then Diesel, who was the champion at the time. Weeks afterwards, Brett and Owen then clashed again when Brett defeated his brother and then finally put the 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 feud to the end for at least the time being, um, you can't say going back and watching all this, you can't deny, in my opinion, you can't deny that 1994, the feud of the year was Owen and Brett.
1: Oh, absolutely. And looking through the list here, when I look through you know Meltzer's ratings in WWF, you were right before. It wasn't the... Uh, first, but it was the first of two. So, <laughs> it was Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels in their ladder match, and then Bret Hart, and Owen Hart, in the steel cage at Summerslam that year. Both received five stars from Meltzer in 1994. Before Still. that, you know, we have things like WCW, uh, AJPW received, you know, NWA, a lot shows up, you know, and things like that. But nothing for WWF up until
0: then. Still, that's a pretty. Pretty big deal, you know what I mean? Like the the fact that like one of like one of Meltzer's first five star ratings, you know, within the first like two or three, um, was uh, w- was was with them. I mean, that just shows you how yeah, good well, they between are. You know, what I mean? Brett and Owen. I mean, that is incredible.
1: And then you also see it later on with Brett and Austin at you know WrestleMania thirteen. But right again, you know, it, it took that long for anything like that to happen again. So.
0: But hell of a rivalry between Owen and Bret for most of 1994 going into like the beginning of 1995, Owen ultimately coming up short, but a hell of a a run with the SummerSlam match, the WrestleMania match, so many other greatness uh, in that entire year. So really, if you look up any of those matches that year, you definitely can't go wrong, and Jake will go over some of the matches you definitely need to check out from Owen Hart, the best 10 uh, or so uh, from Owen's career that you need to watch. We'll get that toward the end the, uh, end of the show. Owen coming back now. We're in uh, 95, so we're going into WrestleMania 11. I'm trying to remember what that is. Yeah, yeah, WrestleMania 11. So Owen rebounds the loss from Brett by actually winning the tag team titles from the Smoking Guns. Uh, Owen, who was joined by a mystery partner, uh, challenged the guns to the title match. And, of course, the partner turned out to be former world champion Yokozuna. Talk about a freaking random thrown together tag team.
1: Yeah, really. What an odd pairing this
0: is. But at the same time, I loved it because you had the powerhouse in Yokozuna, and he had the technician of of Owen. Hard to beat that team, and surprisingly, that like, not only did they keep the titles for a decent time, they actually held them for five months. But they would actually go on to win them a second time. Which is crazy. In
1: a way, it kind of made sense too with Yokozuna having bad blood and history with, you know, Owen's brother Brett. It kind of made sense as, you know, them to work together. So it was like kind of a gotcha moment.
0: Right, so at least it wasn't just like, I shouldn't say random pairing, but it's on paper it seems very random, but you're right. It seems very,
1: you know, it absolutely does seem very, you know, (laughs) truly to the word mystery.
0: (laughs) Right, but they tied it in well because you're right, they both had a common enemy in Brett, so at the very least they had that. So as I mentioned, um, we saw... um, uh and somehow they had two managers. Mr. Fuji was man- <laughs> Mr. Fuji was managing Yokozuna and Jim Cornette was managing Owen Hart, which I thought was hilarious. Two managers.
1: Yeah, so they got them together, you know, and had the, the double manager pairing there. Yep. And some of the promos are, are absolutely hilarious to this day with good stuff. So yeah, a- there's a few on YouTube that you can look up and so so far you know his Owen's title reigns have been uh very underwhelming in a sense because he you know was announced the winner of the lumberjack match but that was turned over in the same night and you know his, his even his New Japan title win was only a month long you know so he hasn't really had anything that that has stuck to this point so here he's actually able to hold on to the titles for you know uh, close to 5 months and they wouldn't lose them until they uh, made it to In Your House 3 against Shawn Michaels and Diesel. So then, as you said, they would briefly hold the titles a second time when the belts were handed back to them before the smoking guns regained the titles. So, And they would continue to work and team on and off again until the end of the year. So that, that finished the year out for them.
0: Yep. And we actually, it's interesting because going back to... You know, looking at Owen's career, um, realistically, if you were to look at Owen's run, he was really more known of us, you know, and we'll get into this, obviously, in a second. A lot of tag teams. A lot of tag teams. Um, this is his, what, his f- third? One, two, three. This will be th- going into his fourth.
1: Yeah, he's had at least three pairings of partners at this point. In he time, had so. he had
0: Coco Beware for a little bit. Remember that? Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, he had uh, Jim Neinhart, Brett, and now Yokozuna. And Yokozuna, now, so this is his fourth pairing. And so and now, now we're getting into his fifth. <laughs> we're going into his fifth teaming with British Bulldog. Um, yeah. So man. you know, this they would
1: join the Camp Cornet stable and this is during the summer of ninety six. The two brothers in laws started to team up more and more, sometimes alongside Vader as well, who was also uh, you know, a member of Camp Cornet. Owen was also a color commentator for the ninety six King of the Ring. And uh, at that time, he wore a cast on his right forearm for several months, feigning a nagging injury to subsequently used his cast as a weapon during matches.
0: So, Shades of cowboy Bob Orton.
1: <laughs> Good old and classic. We get to September 1996, and that's when Bulldog and Hart earned a pay-per-view shot at the tag team titles at In Your House 10. Uh, They left with the gold after defeating the Smoking Guns. They also left with a new manager as uh, Clarence Mason had conned Jim Cornette into signing over the contracts of the new champions. Classic. So signs of dissension, however, slowly started to show. Uh, One occasion where this was evident was at the Royal Rumble when Hart accidentally eliminated the Bulldog. That, again, was another classic moment, you know, and you could see the disdain for one another starting to appear the cracks in the foundation you right know, certainly starting to show Ooh, good after play the on rumble. words there i like that <laughs> cracks in the foundation uh, after the rumble they had miscommunication in the match against uh doug furnace and uh philiphan and the bulldog fired mason after losing a match to crush who was also managed by mason something with uh that did not sit well with Hart. so Another bone of contention between these two was the newly created WWF European Championship. Both men had fought their way to the finals to crown the first champion, with Bulldog coming out as the victor.
0: I didn't know and, that.
1: Yeah, that, what a match that was. That was fantastic.
0: So. I knew Bulldog was the first, but I didn't know he beat Owen to do it.
1: Yeah, and a uh, hell of a match there too.
0: So Interesting. That's, that's another one on the, the best of list which we'll get to. So after uh, retaining the tag team titles against the Headbangers by DQ in March of uh, 97, uh, the tension between the two just bubbled over and Incensed Hart demanded a shot at Bulldog's European title next week. the, the following week. The match was booked for March 31st, but on that night, the two went out with such intensity that many thought the tag team champions had finally gone their separate ways. But in a shocking moment, the recently turned heel Bret Hart appeared at ringside and actually stopped the match completely. Now this again... Great writing. Brett appealed to both Owen and Bulldog, talking about the importance of family. They agreed to put their differences aside and join with Brett to form the new Hart Foundation, an anti-American stable that also included the return of Jim Neinhart, the Hart-in-Law, and very close personal family friend, Brian Pillman. So now we have the Hart Foundation reunion with the five men together. And I have to admit, this was a genius like build. So you had the you had Owen and Bulldog teaming together, it boiled over. You're introducing a new singles championship, so it's not like they're just fighting. You're not just rehashing the whole Bret Hart thing over again, where it's like the brother or whatever. Or I, I actually would have laughed if Owen's like, "I was the British Bulldog first because he was the original one," um, which no one remembers. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, really. But they had the European title. Like you think you knew where things were going because they were still the tag team champions, and then almost a left, f- like a curveball out of left field. Bret comes in and says. Family, you know, The family that prays together stays together, and then, boom, we have one of the best factions in WWE history, so the new Heart Foundation's finally reunion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, too, is, you know, I'm going to circle back really quick. Uh, funny to think that they didn't have the European Championship take place at a pay-per-view or any other type of, you know... You know, true culmination event that you'd think it would, that actually took place at just a regular RAW, but it was held in Berlin at that time. So you know, they were right. overseas. That was back, you know, and it's just always funny to think when I, because I just rewatched that match before, and it, it, you know, doesn't even uh, consider to me the match was truly a, you know, an 18-minute. You know, view of perfection. So it's definitely something we want to go back to. But
0: well, it's interesting. The original, the original idea for the European title, as I'm sure most people either figured out by the name or, you know, just remember from back in the day, was that the title was only going to be defended when they went overseas, which was twice a year, which it still is twice a year. And yeah. then it just became a point where it's like, screw it, we'll defend it on American soil. Anyway. <laughs> we'll defend
1: it anytime we want to. <laughs> Why not? And, um, uh, so yeah, if you, you know, they like said they also included, you know. Neidhart and uh, Brian Pillman after forming the heart foundation, you know, we, we quickly see him gain uh, singles gold as he uh, Pinned none other than the rock Rocky Maivia to win his first wwf intercontinental championship Yes. So Owens now the IC champion and that meant that the heart foundation held every wwf title except the world title cementing yep. their dominance over the uh, Federation
0: so Owen and Bulldog were the tag team champions Bulldog was European and uh, Owen was the IC champion. Talk about, uh, you know, holding all the gold, baby. Seriously. one thing The original I, Undisputed. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously, right? One thing I do remember, and we'll get into this because I'm sure we're going to get into the, um, the pay-per-view that was named after it. Um, but the interesting thing that was great about the Hart Foundation was the reactions they got. Because obviously they were a heel faction, as we mentioned earlier, except when they were in Canada. And in Canada, they were revered they were the as
1: hometown gods. Town heroes. They were gods among
0: men.: You sort of see that in some cases where like with WWE, when they have like a heel go-to like their hometown and they announce where they're from and they get a pop, but nine times out of 10, they'll kind of quickly dismiss it or they'll like sweep it under the rug, and be like, "Yeah, you still all sucked in order to keep the heat. I've never seen anything in terms of crowd reaction like this before where it is they are intensely despised in one country but the second they go over to this like to canada they are revered as gods i don't think i have ever seen anything like that as far as crowd reaction as my as my run as a fan yeah
1: no you you are absolutely right because even certain people like you said they do get cheered for a little bit and then the heels are able to make some type of comment you know they'll insult the local sports team whether it be you know football baseball basketball something of that you know ilk and it'll get a negative reaction and then they'll start being booed as heels again not with these two they they could have literally i i I think set fire to the
0: canadian flag and still have been cheered for christ's sakes they were they were that over I mean, it was, it, you have to, if you get a chance to go back and watch some of the Raws, or specifically, like, there was a Raw they did in Canada, but there's also a pay per view, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was something like, I think, like Stampede, um, In Your House Stampede, I think it was it? Um, oh, it's going to bug me now. I think it was In Your House Stampede, but the crowd just goes berserk because the main event is them versus, I think, Austin, Dude Love. I got to look it up now because I'm getting pissed. <laughs> I should have had this data. Uh, in <laughs> yeah, you find your it, house, stamp- Canadian Stampede. That it's was Canadian it. Canadian
1: Stampede. Yep, yeah, that was July that was it. 6, 1997. Yes. Yeah, it was the Hart Foundation versus Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom.
0: Come on. Like, that's the biggest baby what face a, team you could think match. of, you know? Yeah, and yeah. they I mean obviously they won, but like that's just crazy. Um to think that like you have like That's actually number 3 on my list as well of top 10 matches. So. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm spoiling the list. I, apo- I apologize.
1: No, no, that has to be said here because, you know, it that's the high point of the US Canada feud was with the Wild team brawl set up in Brenton Owen's hometown of Calgary. You know, they they had their stable receive a hero's welcome, and they faced the mongrel team of Austin, Shamrock, Gold Dusk, Hawk, and Animal, who had been cheered in the U.S., but, you know, reviled elsewhere. And it it was just funny how the the Calgary crowd was so white hot, as we've been saying, for the entire match. There was just... You know, no time that these fans sat on their hands and were quiet. And the Hart family members in the front row added an unpredictability, you know, and, and a personal touch to this all-out war because they were going nuts right there, camera side. Right. And the match was, a, you know, really... Fantastic match, 24 minutes long, lots of thrilling action. Owen took advantage of his brother uh, Bruce's distraction to roll up Steve Austin for the three count. Much of the delight of the Canadian faithful, they erupted into such an ovation when he, you know, got the roll up and the pin for the win. It was unparalleled to anything at that point.
0: I remember, the family got in the ring and everything it was a pretty nuts deal. But um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. That was in July of '97. I just, I just remember, like again, the dichotomy of like the crowd reactions. It's just, it's. It's just so funny to see them on a consistent basis be heels week to week, and then they go to Canada, they're freaking gods. But anyway, I want to let me just get to that point real fast. So you're right, they held all the titles. Um Uh, Owen and British Bulldog would actually lose their tag team titles to Austin and Michaels in May of 97 which is when Owen would start beginning his feud with Austin. Uh, Owen and Bulldog would get a second chance at at regaining the tag team titles after Michaels had to vacate the titles due to an injury. But in July, that's 14th so this was right after that Canadian Stampede uh, pay-per-view. On the July 14th episode of Raw, the two entered a tournament and won uh, to face Austin, a partner of his choosing for that vacated titles. Of course, that became became the infamous debut of none other than ow dude love who of course declared himself to be austin's partner and helped uh helped him win the tag team titles uh or sorry uh, help him defeat them for the tag team championship so a lot of craziness going on in just short like two months
1: yeah dude love was a, a big hit and this brings us to that fateful night at SummerSlam when hart was to defend his ic title against austin in the infamous kiss my ass match where Hart put up the title against Austin having to kiss his ass if he lost. During the match, though, Hart botches that pile driver and drops Austin on that stack of dimes and calls a neck and comes down right on the top of his head, uh, breaking his neck in the process. Austin, dazed, confused, staring up at the lights, was, was virtually unconscious and unable to move for a few seconds, couldn't feel anything in his lower and upper extremities, able to regain composure. He rolled up heart out of just instinct to end the match it was a quick you know just quick pin and uh but you know due to the injury was forced to vacate the title they got austin to the back and then he was treated by medical personnel and was out for quite some time and although the entire situation was an accident the wwf decided to make it part of the storyline as owen began wearing a t-shirt uh pattern after austin you know that read owen 316 i just broke your neck and, Jeez, uh, you know they 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 went full fledged into the of course you know, they did the storyline version. Yeah. Of it. but a lot of, this is where a lot of the fans started to turn on Owen because of
0: that situation. So it's it, I'm sure most people have already seen the, the 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 match or at least the moment when when Owen did it. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, basically it was a, like a tilt a whirl and then Owen reversed it into what was a, what looked like it was going to be a, a tombstone piledriver. But ended up doing a sit-down pile yeah, driver. He,
1: he maneuvered into a sit-down, and Austin's yeah. head was too f- far through his legs.
0: Now, typically in the sit-down, what you usually do is you just lean back and then, like, land on your ass. But either way, the idea is that your head is supposed to be cushioned in between the thighs, and you, you're good. But what happened was, for some reason, the way Owen, like, positioned Austin was that he was pushing through the thighs, so his head was sticking out a little bit underneath uh, underneath owens uh thighs and so instead of like just gently like leaning down and like falling on his butt he actually jumped down and sat down on his ass and that's so it wasn't like he like leaned in and like took austin down with him it's like he drove him down um the roll-up pin was obviously pathetic but i mean given what the hell just happened i i I applaud austin for at least finishing the damn match at that point given what the hell happened to him yeah Um, with him you know having a broken freaking neck
1: yeah it was amazing that he was able to even move at that point in time it is you know truly stunning pun intended to to (laughs) know that he was able to function
0: so um i know brett said that owen you know obviously deeply regretted doing that uh he felt horrible about the situation and would later apologize to steve i think down the line but um Ugh! Just it, it, he
1: apologized multiple times, checked in on him, you know, at the hospital. Yeah. and it was you know he he felt very guilty, and it was just that it was an accident, but it was a botch, and that, that comes with the risk of wrestling, and it definitely shortened Austin's in-ring career as well. So.
0: Right, yeah, and that obviously caused a whole mess of problems for Austin, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we do a Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestling retrospective. Please don't do it before Bruno. I don't have that much time to research both Stone Cold (laughs) and Bruno back to freaking back. Anyway, yes, so now Owen's embracing the full heel, Owen 316, I just broke your neck, and now entering the tournament to crown a new Intercontinental Champion. Uh, He fought his way to the finals to crown the new champion, but actually uh, was set to face Farouk at Bad Blood in Your House. Owen beat Farouk uh, surprisingly with Austin's help, which was the weird part. Afterwards, Austin explained that he wanted to beat Brett. Uh, sorry, he wanted to beat Owen Hart for the title. When he returned, it would not allow Farouk or anyone else to beat him. So it's kind of a pride thing where it's like, I'm not going to have anybody else beat you. I want to be the one that takes that belt from you. After Hart uh, retained the title twice by DQ uh, between Bad Blood and Survivor Series in Montreal, Austin got his wish and uh, defeated Owen for the IC title uh, once again. But of course, something else happened that same night at Survivor Series, which some people may or may not remember. I don't. What's the name of that thing again? What's it called?
1: I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the Montreal Screwjob. Oh right, that old like, ch- uh, chit that, in the butts Yes, that little happening. Yes, that little t- she's a, she's a, t- just a memory passing.
0: That little turd. <laughs> that little turd in the punch bowl. Yes. What
1: a what a you know, moment in wrestling history that was uh, my God, you know, it just also referred to as the the Montreal incident. It, it's just one of the most infamous and controversial unscripted professional wrestling incidents ever. And obviously Vince McMahon, uh, who was pretty much, you know, not really viewed as the owner much as then, you know, he, he was less of a figurehead at that point in time. You know, people didn't really, view him as you know the the, the the bad guy. That character didn't really exist at that point in time. Um, he covertly manipulated and predetermined the outcome of the match, which aren't all matches predetermined? Yes, but usually the superstars wrestling in the match know what the outcome's going to be. So, uh, you know, to, to summarize it quickly, is that Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart were having a match. Bret was heading out to wcw was not renewing his contract he was the champion him and brett had a lot of bad blood or excuse me brett and sean had a lot of bad blood and he did not want to drop the title to Shawn michaels before leaving and vince did not want to see his wwf championship on wcw television he already had that happen with medusa with the women's title and you know he really didn't want that to happen once again to him, so he went ahead, and when Michaels locked in the sharpshooter on Brett in the match, he had Earl Hebner under orders from Vince call for the bell, and you know Sean won the match, and the rest is just uh history. Brett
0: screwed Brett now, of course, everyone kind of know well at this point everything's somewhat well known about. You know, Brad and Vince and all that stuff. What maybe a lot of people don't know so much is the subsequent aftermath for the other members. Um, yeah. So about at this point, else
1: in the in the you know predicament, basically.
0: Yep. So basically. Um, you know, the the Montreal screw job took place. Brett left, obviously, to go to WCW. but And both British Bulldog and Jim, Jim the Anvil Nineheart were both granted their fast releases from their contracts so they could also join Brett. And they also jumped over to WCW. Unfortunately, at this point in time, Brian Pillman had unfortunately passed away. Uh, so he was no longer around. Uh, this left Owen. And Owen was the only Hart member... To obviously remain in the WWF mainly due to his contractual obligations. Um, yeah, unlike
1: and, and yeah, the thing is too is that you know, like you were you were hinting at, we don't know necessarily that it was all by Owen's you know choice not to leave either. We know that he was contractually obligated from leaving. And, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, Vince was not going to grant him his release. But there was also a lot of talk at that point in time that he didn't want to go to WCW anyways. He was, you know, very weary that they weren't going to know how to utilize someone like him and that Brett was already going to be heading over. And, you know, they were unwilling to match the WWF contract for Brett. So, you know, we were curious to see how that was going to go going forward if they weren't going to match it for Owen.
0: I mean, I can't really blame him given the history, you know, before with like them not locking in a deal for him. And, I, you know, it's kind of ironic that that's exactly what happened to Brett where they didn't know what to do with him. And so Owen's fears were somewhat justified uh, for going over yeah, to WCW. And unwilling
1: to pay him the same as he was making now. That was another huge, you know, worry of his. He has young children, and right. his wife he had, you know, a family to take care of and unfortunately he didn't want to take a pay cut or, you know, be transferred to WCW essentially and then not be used at all and then be let go and now unable to go back to
0: WWF. So I mean I I know this is kind of weird because we don't really usually do a whole lot of fantasy booking on here, but imagine if WCW got them all. Imagine they got Owen, Brett, Bulldog and Ninehart. Do you think they would have mattered any difference?
1: It could have. I mean, Brett would still be alive. Or excuse me, Owen would be. You know, that would that would certainly. True. <laughs> true. Well, <laughs> have they had. I meant more of the I like mean, the creative, like, do you think
0: they would yeah, have done but, better but, with them?
1: With the creative process, they might have because Owen could have maybe pushed towards them doing something as a faction. I think that that was part of the reason why they hesitated and had brett kind of been booked so oddly in wcw i mean brett was handled horribly in wcw that was one of the biggest blunders that that wcw made at that point in time so the way they they handled him coming in and then everything that subsequently happened with goldberg and the concussions and all that other stuff was just further nails in the coffin but yeah i mean had they gotten owen as well it really could have been the difference maker honestly
0: no, just just something that was very interesting. That to think, you know, you're right. Like everybody else left except for except for Owen, um, and it just makes me think. Like, I mean, I I, I don't know. if It's you know, would have, could have, should have kind of deal. But but this created a unique opportunity. So now, once again, Owen finds himself in a very interesting situation from a creative standpoint because. Owen, you know, had Brett. They had. He had his family there, even if they weren't like on camera associated with each other. You know, Bulldog, Nine Heart, Brett. They're all there now. They're not. Yeah, he
1: he still had Brett Brett's influence because Brett was the top guy at that point in time. So even if Owen was worth his weight in gold, you know, all the things that he was doing and accomplishing and being essentially a top guy and contender, even if he was head of the mid card, he was still you know a top level performer and on TV week in and week out because his brother had such influence and kind of always gravitated him towards those situations. Now with his brother being out of the picture and going to WCW, it wasn't even like Owen was punished. It was just that it looked like they had no real idea what to do with Owen coming up, you know, shortly down the line. And I think that's that's one of the big woulda, coulda, shoulda things too. Had they released Owen or had they done something better with him would he still be alive as well? Because he wouldn't have returned to the Blue Blazer gimmick. So, right. You know, those are those are kind of you know the two things that always boggled my mind to think about. I mean, there's there's a million of those scenarios. Someone dies in a car crash. Well, if they only took the bus, you know, th- th- there's always those kind of what right. scenarios. But I mean, this one really sticks out because how much of Owen's push came from Brent directly being the top guy?
0: Well. It's interesting you mention that because I you know taking a look at what happens to him next I mean uh, don't 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 get me wrong Owen won the Intercontinental and tag team titles multiple times he ended up did winning a, a few more I believe he won the European we're going to get into it in a minute like he won another tag team title European championship so it's not like he like fell down hard after Brett left or at least not He wasn't prominently featured as much. I'll give you that. But it's not like he went down. He he
1: didn't disappear entirely, but he certainly dropped down the the ladder. You know, he fell a few rungs. And then getting into 99, he was pretty against uh, a lot of the more risque angles. You know, he didn't want to be involved in anything that had to deal with sex or, you know, anything of that like. You know, he he basically, he looked, uh, you know, he looked on with a lot of the attitude era with great disdain, and he unfortunately didn't want to be known, you know, with like the cheating and scandaling uh, storyline that they wanted him to do with Deborah, you know, and, and later on with Jarrett. So that's what kind of, you know, pigeonholed him into that corner of going back to the blue blazer gimmick, and I right. think that had Brett been around to to you know keep his stock keep owen's stock high maybe we would have seen him as wwf champion i really feel like he would have been in the title picture or at least going for the title if not the champion versus being a mid-card jobber and then going back and reverting to the superhero gimmick
0: No, no that's an interesting point but before we even get to the blue blazer though there's a there's a <laughs> there's an interesting uh, run that he has with a certain uh, nation which we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, the but, nation. But before the we get nation. but before we get to that, I think it's a good little segue to talk about some more good old fashioned Owen Hart ribs. So Jake, what, <laughs> what,
1: we, what need, we need theme music for this segment? I know <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> Owen Hart ribs. Um, um, bah, one of my Owen oh, Hart ribs. My favorites is that Michael Cole you know, is finally going to be on screen. You know, they've, they've done a lot of things where they tested him and, uh, you know, with, with interviewing skills and whatnot. So, you know, you got this uh, frost-tipped head in front of the camera and he's, you know, just a scrawny guy in an ill-fitting suit just trying to get his name across by any means necessary. And finally, you know, he ends up getting signed on as a rookie interviewer and they gave him a shot. And what is his first real ever interview? Is with none other than the excellence of execution, Bret Hart. So Michael Cole meets with the hitman along with the Hart Foundation in preparation of his big moment. And just before the director says, Action and we're live, Owen Hart pours a bottle of Coca Cola down the back of Michael Cole's pants. <laughs> it's too late for them to do anything about it, so Cole just turned to the camera and started broadcasting. What a pro he was. Ah, oh, that's great! I love. It. I mean, they, give,
0: they give a lot of crabs. Imagine <laughs> so, you just yelled, "Oh my!"
1: Yeah, Coca Cola. You know, oh, yeah. and that's, <sighs> uh, I just that always cracks me up, though. So you know, I wish like, I'd three, two, one, and we're live. And then you just see him get a bottle of Coke down his
0: pants, or you just oh, hear the bubbles, the, or you just hear the fizzing go off in the background. Nice. Um, I have one for Gangrel. Um, he one night in Philadelphia. While Gangrel was wrestling, Owen removed his wristwatch from his bag and slipped it into his own. And, of course, Gangrel's going crazy, realizing it was missing. He goes, hey, Gangrel, what time is it? And Gangrel goes to look at his watch, and he knows it's gone. Uh Owen, of course, is not knowing, you know, oh, let me help you find it. Oh, I'm so, you know, we're going to help you, you know, even looking for it everywhere. Even after the show was over, of course, they just gave up. And, of course, next time they rolled into Philadelphia... um he opens his bag and, you know, they they go twice a year. So this is months later. Opens his bag and there's his watch. Yeah, it was like then, five then, six months at this point in time. And then Owen just wanders back and goes, Hey, Gangrel, what time is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like, what a dick. I loved it. The fact that he held on to it for that long, though, remembering that he was going to set this up, you know, what pacing just to. to... Oh, to pull that off! Another the, the, one of my favorites is Harley Race. You know, he's he, his barbecue oh, is legendary, and he often invited every wrestler, you know, and, and friend of the business, to uh, to you know race his house when the shows are in Kansas City. And it was at one of these time honored gatherings that Owen decided to spice things up. So <laughs> Harley Race was really proud of his chili, and you know it was it was you know quite revered by everyone that enjoyed it. So when no one's looking, Owen poured three bottles of insanity hot sauce into the huge cooking pot. He then proceeded to watch and delight as wrestler after wrestler became victim to its explosive power. Only Owen was left standing as the others gasped for air, water, and anything to cool their palates. So... <laughs> Revenge was a dish best served immediately. As Harley Race found Owen in the locker room the next night and electrocuted him with a stun gun directly between the ass cheeks, you know. So, the moral: <laughs>
0: don't mess with Harley Race. But oh, still, no.
1: Ha, that's a that's a spicy situation to get. You yourself
0: don't into. fuck with Harley. I mean, good God, I've I've heard some horror stories about Harley, which we'll get to when we get to Harley. But the last one I'll bring up is actually one. Um, it's on Luger, but it wasn't just Owen; it was Davy Boy Smith too. So this time, um. <laughs> i love the setup owen and davy boy had become friends with two undercover police officers and they convinced luger that the car flashing its lights behind them was sean michaels playing a joke um so of course lex sped into the night trying to escape the car thinking it's sean of course only when they put the siren on that he like goes oh crap pulls over cops were pissed giving him a stern, like just yelling and reading him the riot act and taking his details before walking away. Davy Boy waits up, waited up until uh, until their backs were turned before shouting, blow it out your ass. <laughs> the police turn around furious and then just ask, who the hell just said that? And, and then they, and Owen says, it was Lex and and of course they cuff they cuff him they put lex in the back of the police vehicle lex even stopped Davey uh trying to like stop him like saying like you know like you know like no it's fine like he was like i'll, I'll take it i'll take it but the best part of the whole thing right the best part vince mcMahon watched it all happening from the safety of his limo and was dying laughing
1: that's
0: great that's probably the best one I've heard. Like, not only is he effing, <laughs> is he going? Are they going so far with this? Luger's like, I'm gonna. T- no, it's fine. I'll take it. And then as soon as he gets in there, you see Vince chuckling in the limo, feet away, <laughs> having the best seat
1: <laughs> He's in the dying house. Laughing. Oh, that's I mean, Owen, just Owen would sandbag some of the people that he was working with. So one night when Owen and Yokozuna were working against uh, <laughs> Lex and Davy Boy. Lex picks up Owen to perform his gorilla press slam, and Owen just sandbags the crap out of him. So he, he, you know, doesn't give any give, and he basically couldn't, you know, complete the move as as powerfully as he usually looks. You know, he made his body go completely dead and limp. Right. So the narcissist struggled to even, you know, get it halfway performed. <laughs> and then when Bulldog tags in, you know, Lex is like, "What did I do to offend Owen? What happened?" Well, there, Bulldog does the same move seconds later, and ugh. Up goes Owen, you know, and <laughs> 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 you know, and, and then you have Bulldog yelling out, "I'm the strongest! I'm the strongest!" You know, and just. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I think you know, I think that's when we'll get to obviously uh, the the ending. I think that's another reason why people got so it was so devastating with what happened to Owen. But but let's let's keep on trucking through. Man, such good ribs. We'll, let's keep on trucking through. So. Um Owen the last time we saw Owen was Survivor Series, right? We hadn't seen Survivor Series. Um we hadn't seen him for a while until he returned um at In Your House DX in Your House, which was a m- about a month later, December of 1997. Um he uh after appearing during a match between Shawn Michaels retaining his title uh over Ken Shamrock. Um, where he actually attacked Shawn Michaels. So now Owen is now a fan favorite, but he's got kind of like this new edgy attitude. He's now known as the Lone Heart and the Black Heart, which I love. Again, love these these nicknames. I mean nick-
1: literally he's the, he's the Lone Heart cuz he's the
0: only one left. Yep. Owen then has a feud with DX and actually challenges HBK for the World Title uh on a on the December 29th 97 episode of Raw. Hart had Michaels locked in the Sharpshooter when, of course, Triple H interfered in order to save Michaels, giving Hart the win by DQ. Um, however, he later won the European Championship from Triple H, but not really directly. Goldust dressed up as Triple H in an attempt to swerve Owen, but then Commissioner Slaughter—good old Commissioner Slaughter—considered him to be a legitimate replacement. So it's a weird thing where, like, Goldust was pretending to be Triple H to to screw Owen over, but yet. Slaughter said it still counted. It was a weird, weird scenario. But anyway. Yeah, it's one of those Attitude Era, you know,
1: <laughs> circumstances. F- that weird, like I need really a chart scratch to scratch your head at. But yeah. hey, it works. You know? Fu- okay, sure. Uh, yeah, Hart later suffered a kayfabe ankle injury during a match against uh, Barry Windham involving Triple H. And when Hart joined the commentary at ringside, Triple H managed to draw Owen into an impromptu title match and then regained the title. China interfered while the referee wasn't looking and while Triple H was distracting the ref, she struck Hart behind the left knee with a baseball bat picked Ugh. him up and threw him back into the ring where Triple H put Hart in a reverse ankle lock to his injured right ankle to win the uh, European championship under referees' discre- uh, discretion in the controversial fashion
0: so so then we're going into this is 97 no this is now 98 at this point yes we're in 98 yes. so that would be WrestleMania 14. Yes, I had to think about that for a second. 98, yep. WrestleMania 14. Uh, four weeks later, during a tag match with Shamrock against Mark Henry and Rocky, uh, Owen actually turns on Shamrock, snapping his ankle and biting his ear in the process, because, as you do... Mike Tyson. <laughs> I didn't even put that Gotta together.
1: Uh, after... <laughs> just, Just... That's all you got to say. Those two
0: words. It's good Mike timing. You're Tyson. right. Like it's it's four weeks. i going to be there for.
1: Yeah. You know, Let me tell you how it's done for WrestleMania.
0: <laughs> Still, I'm with the bad guy. I'm a real bad guy. Oh, my God. Um... For one of the
1: deadliest <laughs> men, you know, on the planet for, you know, the baddest man on the planet for a long time. Just the worst voice imaginable. You know, so non-intimidating. Men would ship bricks walking, you know, into the ring against him. And then he would talk, and you were like, wait, what? That,
0: that's that got to be a joke by God, you know? Like, I swear to God, mister, I'm going to tear you down, I'm going to break you apart. And, <laughs> you know, and just... if some reason Mike Tyson's watching this, I apologize in advance. Jake's address, I will DM you later. <laughs> He'll dox me thoroughly. Yes. But,
1: yeah, you, but you figure for the man that was setting records and knocking people out in, in seconds, you would figure he would have this, you know just totally dominating, you know, overempowering voice and it was just always such a shocker to hear him
0: speak. But still intimidating on the left. Right. So He mov- packed it up. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. In spades. After the attack on Shamrock though, Owen became the co-leader with the rock of the Nation of Domination, claiming that enough is enough and it's time for a change. I need to really stress it's funny how
1: that you know, that that uh that tagline really followed him, you know, for essentially the, the end of time, you know, for for the rest of his career and, and so on. And it wasn't like a, a long staying tagline. It wasn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, a gimmick that, that lasted all that long, really. But that enough is enough and it's time for a change began you know, to be incorporated with his theme song and, and everything going forward. And that just outlived pretty much every other, you know, known gimmick with
0: heart for the most part. And the part that's still really just hard for me to wrap my head around is Owen Hart, a white Scottish Canadian, well, Scottish, (laughs) Irish, Canadian, Scottish, German, Irish, (laughs) is now the co-leader of the Nation of Domination. All I'm going to say is I feel like I'm watching Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other.
1: (laughs) Talk about being progressive, huh?
0: I mean it was it definitely caught my attention obviously yeah
1: absolutely cuz he stuck out like a sore thumb but it worked that was the thing you know it just it just worked they were so charismatic you know him and the rock together
0: it just I I can't even begin to explain why it worked but dear god it worked but uh then of course came the infamous I am not a nugget yeah, cuz their first big feud after Hart joined was against none other than
1: D Generation X. And it was during this feud that DX uh parodied the Nation of Domination hilariously, you know, okay. they dressed up as all the members in the ring and uh you know, we 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 saw, you know, quite the great Owen parody as well there. And the imitation was complete with an actor dressing up as Hart and uttering the phrase, "I am not a nugget." And this was in response to sean michaels referring to owen as a nugget of feces in a toilet bowl that no matter how many times michael'd flush he was unable <laughs> to get rid of
0: oh man And that like, was
1: jason's sensation right that dressed up as owen. yeah yep yeah. yep
0: yep good great stuff um hart's participation in the dx feud was sidetracked when shamrock returned from injuries dead set on obviously getting revenge on owen the two split a pair of specialty matches on pay per view, but nothing ever really was settled between the two of them. So Hart's uh, run with Nation though would kind of stay throughout the year until, of course, slowly but surely the Nation of Domination would you know eventually dissolve. SummerSlam, he actually teamed with yeah. Jeff. Oh, sorry, God.
1: No, just right here is where I feel like everything fell off. So you know, we're we're towards the end of '97 when obviously the the Montreal Screwjob happens. And then we we don't really see, you know, Owen for a little bit of time, couple, like what six weeks or so. Like we said before, we're December twenty ninth. We see him back on Raw ninety seven. Now we're we're getting into the end of ninety eight, early ninety nine, and that's pretty much when he just runs out of steam. You know, they 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 don't know what to do with him. You know, as you said here, he he teams with Jeff Jarrett and. Jarrett's manager, Deborah, was obviously you know supporting them in their corner, and a storyline was proposed that Hart was supposed to have an on-screen affair with Deborah, and he turned this down immediately. This was not something that he wanted to participate in. He was he was really against you know doing any type of you know uh, sexual angle, uh, you know, and, and he was unfortunately uh, saddled with the Blue Blazer gimmick once again because of this. So uh, one the nineteen the eighties character, you know, with the silly promos were kinda of given a new wrinkle at that point in time with some of the, the larger than life personalities that were coming out. And then with his expressed reluctance, reluctance excuse me, to participate in some of the, you know, prurient storylines that dominated the Attitude Era, it just it, it left him without anywhere else to go but that gimmick. Right. So he had an I uh you know, a match in which Hart accidentally injured Dan Severn And, you know, it seemed like he would quit WWF at that point in time. So playing off the legitimate injury Hart had inflicted on Austin the year before, this angle blurred the lines between reality and storyline. And yet, as soon as Hart quit, the blue blazer appeared in WWF, claiming to in no (laughs) way be Hart, despite it being very obvious who it was under the mask. So here, they they really did a, a good job, I think, with this, but at the same time, I wish it never happened. I wish he didn't get back into the Blue Blazer gimmick, not even just because it led to his untimely demise. But I, you know, we only saw him get near the WWF title once past this, and I feel like had they just continued with his... If he got out of the Nation of Domination and got right back into the main event scene, I really think he could have been utilized great because now, you know, it was right after WrestleMania... Austin and him have bad blood beforehand, you know, and, and they could have played up on this angle perfectly. Think about it. He injured Austin. Austin just won the title. Who better to go after it than Owen Hart? That's an excellent the point. Story, the story writes itself. Yeah. And instead, we we get, you know, a, a slow derailment of him until he ends up coming back as a, you know, faux superhero who is now overbearing, self-righteous, and... He treated the, uh, you know, edgy content with great disdain. You know, he wants everybody to, as we said before, you know, drink your milk, say your prayers kind of stuff. And they, Hart and Jarrett, end up making the storyline as comical as possible. You know, we see that Hart was trying to prove he's not the Blazer. He showed up beside the Blue Blazer, who was a masked, you know, Jeff Jarrett. And he once again tried to prove that neither Hart or Jarrett were the Blazer. So they both appeared next to a man in the Blue Blazer mask. However, it was obvious that a black man was under the mask, and that was actually his former tag team partner, Coco Beware. So funny, you know, as hell to <laughs> obviously have someone that's black under the mask, and you know it's not hard, you know, oh ha ha, you know at least he made, uh, you know, the best of it, and that was always his attitude, you know, he he took whatever he had and he tried to turn it into gold, and I I give him the utmost respect and credit for it, but again, I feel like he was you know served a great injustice here. Then we get into January 25th of 99, in the midst of the Blue Blazer angle, Hart and Jarrett defeated Ken Shamrock and the Big Boss Man for the tag team titles, and they successfully defend the belts against Test and D'Lo Brown at WrestleMania 15. They lost their titles to the team of Kane and X-Pac on the pre-taped episode of Raw that aired uh, April 5th, and then Hart and Jarrett continue to team together until we get to the -the over-the-edge pay-per-view, which leads to his untimely passing.
0: So... I uh, this is of course the part that um is tough to talk about because obviously it is something that is not um not pleasant because this is I believe yeah, this is the first per- this is the first person that we're actually talking about um on the wrestling retrospective that's passed. Um And especially
1: knowing that they passed in such a heinous and unfortunate manner. Um, yes, as so well, really kinda is even more difficult to discuss. So we, right. we try and, you know, there, there's a lot of misinformation about this, though. So that's one of the reasons why I said before, I, I really, you know, we could have just glossed over it. Mm. But I, I feel like some of this needs to be at least addressed because some of the people feel that, you know, certain things transpired a, a specific way and that just wasn't right. the case.
0: So let me just, yeah, I, I want to stress that we're trying to, if I get things wrong on this, I'm sure Jake will correct me. Um, or you guys can correct me because I'm sure you guys are very good at doing that. Um, yeah, because
1: we want to treat this with as much you know respect and and yeah. You know, so
0: so that being said, um, reverence as possible for his career. So. so there's a lot of common misconception as far as what exactly happened on that night. Um, I think that everyone knows uh, what generally happened was that Owen, obviously, as as Jake was just alluding to, was that Owen Hart was was at. Over the edge on uh, May 23rd, 1999, was slated to uh, come down the ring as the blue or come to the ring as the blue blazer. Now the re- the, what the, the, the gimmick was now entailing was that he was going to be lowered down to the ring via a harness and a grapple line from the rafters, kind of like what Sting would do in WCW. Um, but the idea was that he was obviously a buffoonish character. so what the idea was that he would lower himself to the ring, he'd get stuck and then release himself and like fall like uh, you know within like inches of the ring obviously
1: so during yeah it's supposed to look like you know the buffoonish superhero thing where like he's so inept and and incapable that even when he's lowering himself down to the ring looking like he's quote unquote flying that he gets himself hung up in the harness and then he right. has to snatch the quick release and then it it drops him into the ring you know a couple of like a foot foot and a half and this way, he, he makes a quick little drop to the ring, and it's like a, a comedy spot. Right. So also at this time, mm-hmm. um, they had uh, unfortunately they were you know they had a a, a Lumar quick release snap shackle being used. So it's used on sailing uh, pleasure crafts, and they they're not they they're not intended for use of people. They're instead to be used on the industry standard of locking uh, carabiners like in place or scaffolding and, you know, like holding curtains and, you know, anything. They said if you even blow on this, it would it would release at times like it was it was not something that was supposed to be used for people. Um, also, the fact was that uh, he went ahead and the stunt coordinator that they were using was not the original stunt coordinator. And the uh, the the coordinator that that was later you know held responsible was a hack as they list him here. He had inflated his credentials, and he thought the quick release cable was viable and safe. Owen obviously trusted this man with his life and paid the ultimate price because of it, and that later leads to the lawsuit that happens, you know sometime down the road. but the the man had the stunt coordinator claimed to be the coordinator for sting stunts. Right. Uh, but in fact, he was no more than like a fifth string assistant to the real stunt coordinator. Uh, the industry standard was, like I said, uh, a locking carabiner that they would use. And instead, they went, he went with this Lumar quick release uh, nautical latch. And the original stunt coordinator that they would used was so aghast that they were using a quick-release snap shackle that he offered to lower his rate by a great deal and pleaded with WWF officials for the stunt to be canceled. Wow. And during the day leading up to it, um, Owen was so unsure himself of the stunt that he actually refused to practice it ahead of the You know pay-per-view going off and that actually saved the life of a little person that was supposed to come to the ring with him they were both supposed to be strapped together uh you know so they they were actually um supposed to be lowered down at the same time and unfortunately well fortunately for you know the person that was uh you know going to be in that position because he went ahead and decided not to perform and practice the stunt beforehand the afternoon before of the pay-per-view, he saved the life of the mini blue blazer who the stunt coordinator had
0: hoped to lower with Owen to the ring. So, so obviously things did not go as planned. Now, originally there's supposed to be a match between blazer and Godfather for the intercontinental championship, obviously while being
1: he was he was against again we said you know ludax and the right. you know that kind of thing going on with the attitude era so he was trying to stop the godfather
0: that was the, basically the point of this feud. right so while he was being lowered to the ring the harness uh did not did not catch him he fell yeah, it was
1: the it was the, actually the he owen was adjusting the elastic wrist strap on the elaborate blue blazer eagle wings And he tripped the release, which was near his shoulder and only guarded with a single piece of tape. Uh, The stunt coordinators on the catwalk heard a distinct click and then looked on in horror as he plunged at 45 miles per hour, 70 feet, I believe it was, to the ring, rotating in a counterclockwise direction as he fell. Now a lot of people feel that he hit. They, you know, they're often said that he hit the turnbuckle. That's incorrect. He didn't right. hit the turnbuckle. No. Onlookers said he was screaming all the way down, but actually, what he was doing was notifying and and warning Jimmy Cordero. Um, Martha Hart said that he was actually uh, hit the ref with a glancing blow, though. His wife, it was said that you know he wasn't screaming in you know like for his life, but he was screaming for the referee to get out of the way. Um. Had he been suspended for some time observing the activity below, you know, he was able to see what was going on, that Owen Hart was. You know, and it is probable that this worst case scenario had crossed his mind. So it wouldn't be too quick to dismiss this as truth because he was trying, you know, thinking that he was trying to warn the ref. Is certain, Something certainly it seems that that was what was happened. Yeah. So Owen came crashing down at 45 miles an hour. He hit the ropes, not on the turnbuckle, but a few feet down from the ropes. And his left side struck first. His arm was shattered immediately by the impact at the elbow. And his body uh, was then thrown several feet backwards by the ropes being tied taut. He landed, bounced, and landed onto his back. He made a single effort to sit up and act compared to an exhausted man attempting a final ab crunch. And then he proceeded to drown in his own blood. His aorta you know, the, the main uh, artery that connects to your heart, was uh, severed entirely by the impact. So Ugh. the blood, he, he basically bled internally at such a rate that he drowned in his own blood. Yeah. Um, the blood from Owen's injuries actually stained the mat and are quite visible in the next match, which was a mixed tag match, where the tag rope was moved from its normal position so that Nicole Bass and Val Venus would not have to stand in Owen Hart's blood. Ugh. That's something that's usually uh, not known as well. Most of the crowd missed the impact because the arena was darkened, thank God, for his video promo that was airing on the Titantron. Some right. in the audience thought it was a mannequin or a doll that had been thrown down. He fell during the segment just before his video was shown, and Jim Ross first alluded to the issue when he said, we have big problems out here, because they were live on pay-per-view you know, at that point in time. Owen's face quickly turned blue, and his skin took on a, a deathly pallor. His pupils dilated and... Uh, this is where Jim Ross, you know, went over to see if he was breathing. And Lawler was one of the first uh, responders and determined he wasn't breathing by placing his hand over his mouth. He then returned to the booth, uh, booth and said it didn't look good. And, you know, efforts to save him in the ring were futile, obviously. He was stabilized and rolled to the back. Eventually, the crowd gave him giving him a, a slight ovation when they wheeled him out thinking that he was going to be Okay but you can see his arm is actually limp and, and slung to the side. His uh, intubation efforts initially were hindered by his musculature, his, his neck and, and body was so large that it was very difficult to get him to, you know, be resuscitated, you know, obviously at all. And then this is another thing that I didn't know, but reading the lawsuit and whatnot, uh, resident WWE chiropractor uh, Francois Petit or Pettit joined the ringside police officers and paramedics who were attempting to resuscitate Owen. He was barking bizarre recommendations and wielding monitor paddles while he prepared to shock the pulseless Owen against the wishes of paramedics and the standards of medical science. His improper interventions were a hindrance to the effort, and he was eventually dismissed as his presence was more of an obstacle than an asset during the rescue effort. So that was something that I would not heard of before until I did more research into this. Uh, There was an ambulance on site rented for Mr. McMahon's injury angle. So, there was an injury, you know, that Mr. McMahon broke his ankle earlier in the night. Right. That had happened on the pay per view. And the driver actually hesitated to leave because they were there for the worked angle and not allowed to be on duty. So, The Rock, among other wrestlers, mobbed the vehicle and eventually it left. The Rock was particularly vocal and menacing and yelled, Get this fucking ambulance moving. An unnamed wrestler threatened to drive the ambulance himself. So now we're 20 minutes between the fall and Owen being evacuated to a nearby hospital, he was declared dead at 8:12 p.m, 13 minutes after entering the hospital and 40 minutes of him hitting the ring. Uh, they use a thing called the Glasgow coma scale when uh, evaluating comas detected uh, you know minimal activity. He was a three out of 15 on the scale when he first wheeled in. So he did not technically die at Kemper. Um, electrical activity was detected, but there was no scenario where he could have survived the fall and impact. Jesus. And, uh, yeah, you know, Martha, she tirelessly investigated her husband's death and had access yeah. to documents and evidence that there have been more or less suppressed by the terms and legal statement. So it ended up being where many years later, um, not not too far off, but a few years later on, that both the Harness Company and WWF were sued and charged I believe it was 18 million
0: dollars yeah yeah they settled They settled for that amount outside so I mean it's just it's uh, I mean what else is there to say I mean I know you just read like off like the facts like that but really like what else is there to say you know and it because of this unfortunately you know not only did we get Owen's passing but you you often hear about you know Martha Owens uh, Owens widow now um you know not being willing to or you know having difficulty working with WWE in terms in terms of certain projects and i can't say i blame her because she obviously um you know still holds uh resentment towards the company and again i still can't blame her, you know, for for feeling that way. Whether or not you could prove that if it was whose fault was what. At the end of the day, a wife lost her husband in what could be seen very unnecessarily, especially after everything you just mentioned. Um, Yeah,
1: certainly could have been avoided. The stunt didn't need to happen. Many, many, many spoke out. Um, Even uh, Vince Russo said that, you know, he felt obviously very 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 responsible at one point and there was a podcast obviously he did with Austin that was very moving talking about you know everything that transpired that day and how it just weighs so heavy on his
0: heart and mind so, so a lot of people um, you know th- there was a, a couple of other um, you know, mentioned like the, the the legal the legal lawsuits obviously um, June of 2010 Martha also filed another lawsuit over Owen's name, la- name and likeness in like the Heart and Soul DVD as far as royalty payments um but really it, it boils down to you know again a wife losing her husband over something that's pretty unnecessary and so you know a lot of people um uh, you know they of course had the 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 raw the following the following evening um And that was a big point of contention too
1: because um you know that was that was obviously the next night and some good portion of people were already you know reporters were there covering the pay-per-view itself and you know wrestling was booming at that point in time so obviously the story was reported immediately as his death you know occurred and you know, Vince was was right there to say, that, you know, at a press conference that you know that they, they were very saddened and you know his condolences and sympathy goes out to Owen's family and his wife and their two young children. He said we don't have any answer as to why this happened. There's an ongoing investigation, and as you said, but the pay per view did continue, and that was a huge point of contention for many. A lot of people felt like, uh, you know, the pay per view should not have continued during the Rock's match with, I believe it was Triple H at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, during The Rock's match. The Rock was taunting Triple H and then he grabbed the mic and said oh and The Rock loves you um, while live on the pay-per-view. Also, uh, Stone Cold you know, was barely able to function in the main event and uh, there was actually a, a pre-match interview from Deborah, who couldn't hold her tears back and walked off and Jeff Jarrett tried to pick up where she left off however he was unable to finish the interview himself and all of this has been cut from the network obviously and um they also went ahead and you know we have several news outlets that were already there like i said so it turned into the memorial episode the next night for owen hart and the officials and wrestlers wore black bands that read owen hart or oh they had the 10 bell salute wrestlers were told they didn't need to wrestle but there were a few matches very brief that night just for the fans in attendance and Stone Cold finished the night with a, a tribute image displayed in the Titantron as he popped beers in his honor. And I, I guess Martha had an issue with that because the, the ratings were massive for Raw that night. They drew a 7.2 overall. And Nitro's first hour led into them getting a 3.6, uh, from down from a 4.4, so she felt like that was kind of insensitive. And then she also... Um, you know it's it's a lot of he said she said stuff, but you know these are things that that further go on and just show that she wanted nothing to do with w w f she said i I feel exploited and violated and very repulsed by everything and she you know she allowed other media to come in news organizations and whatnot to air the footage of his his funeral and memorial in Calgary and You know while saying whoever's responsible for what happened to owen will be held accountable but then she you know she was very open and honest that she didn't want she was very upset that that the wwf uh went ahead and and played the footage of his um his funeral so you know that you know and vince goes on says for the record martha hart giving her the benefit of the doubt in her time of grieving i spoke to her after the death of owen on five occasions At no time during any conversations did she ask me not to show footage from Owens' funeral. Um, You know, and it just kind of goes back and forth from there. He also says how he paid for uh, signs, public addresses, video screens, flowers, transportation of the body, limousine services. And she actually refused most of that. Uh, Vince also paid uh, for all transportation expenses, for all WWF talent and personnel to go to the funeral. And, you know, she, she went ahead and refunded and returned or refused most of the money that Vince had tried to pay for the funerals. I guess. so. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't know that as well. But he said WF paid for items such as, like I said, limousine, transportation of the body, flowers, service folders, uh, public address system, buses, signage for buses, armbands, catering, housekeeping, lawn cleanup, ladies and men's clothing, sunglasses, hairdressing, obituaries. Canadian flags, and however the WWF logo had been removed and Owens' initials stood in its place. I can only assume this was at Mrs. Hart's request. Um, it also said that uh, the local funeral home was advised not to receive money from the
0: Mcmans. So, geez, I mean, again, it's a it's a tough. It's just tough. I, I guess that's the best way I can I can I can. I can put into it. That, that's the only way I can really, really, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of speechless, honestly, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's hard for me to, to to really describe or put into words about any of that uh, any more than we already did. And, and the, But the biggest thing is this is why a lot of people, you know, um, want to see Owen uh, in the Hall of Fame. It won't because yeah, of his that, of his success. Really comes down to. And unfortunately, it's this incident. Um, and again, not blaming Martha for feeling this way, but that's really what's what's holding things up is is that. Um, yeah, I mean, even Brett said recently that, you
1: know, he, he's like why Owen should be in the Hall of Fame. And this was, this was just very recent. He said, I think for what Owen gave to wrestling and that it would be important for him to be in the Hall of Fame. And he said, I think it would have meant a lot to my dad, the late Stu Hart, and it would mean a lot to me. I don't think the Hall of Fame is the same without him. And I know that Mark Henry, as an example, made a strong speech, you know, the year before about getting Owen to the Hall of Fame. And I totally agree. He said, Owen brought so much joy to my life uh mark henry said he said i wish there could he could be here with us and i miss him dearly and martha let that camera zoom in here please this is not from the company this is not from other wrestlers this is from his older brother he needs to be here and i hate that i haven't kept up like i should have i would love to be able to look down one day and see owen's son you know be able to be among us this is his birthright and martha obviously has been at odds with wwe and the extended heart family following owen's death since his passing yep and, you know, she, uh, he said that Owen's widow is a very obtuse, square-headed person. Not, I don't want to say anything disparaging, but this is right. what Brett's comments are. He said, I think she has done more to erase my brother's uh, memory than she ever did to remember him. I think it really bothers me that the fans that love Owen so much don't get a chance to remember him. You do these kinds of things for the people that are here to, you know, left to remember them. So, And he's right, right. too. You know, I, I always agreed. you know, you can't leave Owen Hart, you know, out of out of the Hall of Fame, he he was too important to wrestling as a whole. His accomplishments, I agree. no matter how you know minuscule it might be in the grand scheme of things, were were still monumental to you know the industry.
0: No doubt about it. I mean, now you know. Try to end this on somewhat of a lighter or higher note here, as far as you know uh, Owen Hart. I mean, I think it's no doubt that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that's a question that needs to be asked because I think everybody unanimously thinks it. In fact, I think you I, I could argue that you should induct Owen twice, once for his his own individual achievements, and then put the whole Hart Foundation there. Put Brett, put Jim, put Davy Boy, because Davey Boy Smith, Brian Pillman, and Owen on her. You put a lot of people in there who uh, rightfully deserve that. But, I mean, again, looking at the accomplishments that Owen Hart has as, uh achieved he has been inducted into a pro wrestling hall of fames he did the professional wrestling hall of fame and actually this year class of 2019 he was also in the canadian wrestling hall of fame but as far as accomplishments my gosh what a uh, list here i mean just listen to this obviously we mentioned earlier new japan iwgp junior heavyweight champion pwi feud of the year 94 with brett like i mentioned earlier Uh, a couple of um Top matches in, or top moments in terms of ranked number 10, top 500 wrestlers, um, 84 top 100 tag teams, uh, you know, uh, different PWI um, accolades there. Stampede Wrestling, of course, British Commonwealth Mid Heavyweight Title. That's a long name in and of itself. Wrestling International Tag Team Title, uh, North American Heavyweight, and of course Stampede Wrestling Hall of Fame. USWA Unified World Heavyweight Title, and then of course let's talk about the WWE. Three times Slammy Award winner. We forgot to mention the slammies too, which was which is great. He yeah, won. He carried around. Yep. He uh he <laughs> in in '94 he was known for the he won the Slammy for biggest rat. Uh, squared Circle Shocker in 1996 and Best Bowtie in 1997. Apparently, that's what the Slammies were for at that time. King of the Ring 94, we mentioned that's when he became the King of Hearts, which again, great moniker. One time European Champion, two time Intercontinental Champion, uh, Intercontinental Champion, excuse me. And a four-time WWF Tag Team Champion with three different partners. Once with Jeff Jarrett, once with the British Bulldog, and twice with, of course, the uh, Yokozuna. Um, I mean, quite a list. Maybe not as long as some of the other ones we've done here, but still does not uh, take anything away from the great Owen Hart. Jake, I know you've been clamoring. Let's hear some of those uh, top matches that uh, you guys should definitely check out uh, if you want to check out some of the best work of Owen Hart
1: yeah absolutely and uh while we get into it you know one last thing is that uh as you said owen would would schedule wake-up calls things like that he would also sit down in the hotels and he would <laughs> he would you know commandeer the front desk uh at the hotel you know he'd get in good with the staff and he would you know wait for the wrestlers to call down for something so you know hacksaw jim duggan goes ahead and calls the front desk and asks for where you know where the gym was so he can get a quick workout in and the front desk responds, "You've got a phone book, why don't you look it up?" you know And he would pull things like this. <laughs> so Duggan would you know say, you know that was very rude and you know, eventually it escalates. He's like, "I'll come down there and you know I'll beat your ass kind of thing." and you know the front desk responds, "Well, if you have a problem, why don't you come and talk to me?" And Duggan was about to storm down to the lobby and confront the man until he received a phone call. The desk attendant apologized and said it wasn't him who was saying those things. He eventually rever- uh, revealed himself as a fellow WWE star, Jim Powers. You know, so Duggan lasted laughing, you know, hearing the name and knew that he was getting ribbed by Owen. So he, anytime he <laughs> messed around, he went by the name Jim Powers. You know, I think that that's awesome. Great. That's fantastic. So our top 10, you know, matches in his career. I actually, you know, some were a bit surprising, but honorable mention that we usually give, uh, believe it or not, comes from King of the Ring 1994. Oh, it's okay. Owen Hart versus the one kid. So the match only went three and a half minutes, but what a match considering. These two, you know, put as much action into that time as you possibly could, de- you know, delivering one of only two good matches on the pay-per-view. Owen made the kids submit with a sharpshooter and, you know, on his way to becoming the second pay-per-view king of the Rings. So it's, it's a great illustration of what Owen and, of course, the later X-Pac were capable, even with severe time constraints. Hmm. Number 10 is Owen Hart and the British Bulldog taking on Vader and Mankind. That, of course, is at WrestleMania 13. So that's one of the forgotten WrestleMania gems. You know, this was uh, the rare heel versus heels tag team match. And, uh, of course, Owen and Davey had teased splitting up for weeks, as we had mentioned. And Owen had become jealous of all the attention Davey was getting. And, you know, especially after besting him for the inaugural European Championship. So right. uh, that is uh, one that you definitely should should check out. Uh, number nine is Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. This was on Raw, uh, May 26, 1997. So speaking of their, you know, Owen and Davies tag title run, uh, that that came to an end two months later on an episode of Raw when Uneasy Allies, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels teamed up. So as we had mentioned before, you know, this, this was another great match, uh, great performance from all four men, but Owen really shined here. Number eight, Triple H versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania 14. Again, that's for the European Championship. We discussed that earlier, but you know, they, they had a return match a few months following, but it wasn't as you know comparable to this one. But still, this one is is just a you know a fantastic match, and you know even with outside interference allowing you know Hunter to hit the Pedigree to retain, it still is is extremely memorable. Number seven, Owen Hart versus Shawn Michaels at In Your House Six. That's back in uh, February 18th of 1996. So this is the culmination of a three-month angle where Owen gave Sean a kayfabe career-threatening head injury. And it took place on uh, a 16-minute, crisply worked, beautiful match. And definitely one to check out on the network. Number six is Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, SummerSlam. Uh, We discussed this as well in 1994. This is the five-star Meltzer-rated match. Definitely one to... uh, Make sure it, it was a full 32 minutes before Brett took advantage of Owen's leg and, uh, you know, st- being stuck between the cage bars to climb over and retain. And I, I, I agree with people with what they said here. They personally would love to have seen a submission match between these two. And it's unfortunate we never got that. But what a, what a match here. And, you know, unfortunately, too, you know, the headline was Undertaker versus Undertaker. So this really shined on that pay per view. Number five, we have Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and Sid Vicious taking on Vader, the British Bulldog, and Owen Hart in your house nine. And that's from July 21st, 1996. Another classic, you know, six-man tag, and you're talking some of the top talent or the top talent at the time. And, you know, you had everybody embroiled in a feud with Camp Cornette. And just really a thing of magic coming in at 24 minutes. It was Vader who would end up uh, scoring an upset pin on the champion. And... It just was an incredibly fun main event, and something you certainly should not miss. Number four, Owen Hart versus Steve Austin. Ah, uh, you know this is significant. Not so much the the greatest of matches, obviously, but just how they were able to, you know, deliver a great match up into the point with the pile driver. And unfortunately, you know, they were so technically sound and 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 just really gritty throughout the, you know, beginning of this match and going. You know, as far as to try and even dislocate Austin's fingers at one point in time and working Austin's neck. And, uh, you know, they, they tore the house down until that damn pilot driver, which, you know, if Owen had stalled right, it, it would have, you know, been delivered better. But unfortunately, you know, that's another reason you should check out this match because of just how infamous it is. Number three, we got the Heart Foundation versus Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and Legion of Doom. That's at the Stampede. We talked about that in depth before. fantastic match. Really a, a, just a great deal of fun to watch because of the crowd. Certainly just one you don't want to miss. Number two, my personal favorite on the list uh, is Owen Hart versus the British Bulldog. That's at RAW from February 26, 1997. And that was the first new championship in 18 years. That's when the uh, they had the inaugural European Championship match. And the title was decided in uh, Berlin of all places. So you know they were overseas, obviously, thus debuting the new title. And this is an in-ring masterpiece that was high in the running for match of the year. they They matched each other uh, hold for hold, but also included you know plenty of personal tension, stemming from their teased implosion, so you know they were the best of friends at this time. And they were just, anything you can do, I can do better. You know, that truly epitomized the role of these two in the match. Just a quick gif I sent you before of these two, you know, locked up in an armrest, you know, and then just just flipping trying to, to work each other into different rest holds was incredible.
0: Yeah, the chain wrestling was great. Chain wrestling
1: was, was off the chain. <laughs> <laughs> as white boy as I can get there. And number one, of course, as we had already, you know, let the cat meow, out of the bag, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart WrestleMania 10. Everyone's favorite, you know. What a way to open up the pay-per-view uh, match of the night for sure, and it really just put them both on a, a you know collision course to the moon for this one. Strapped a rocket on Owen as well, made him the number one contender. But you want to talk uh, a great crowd in Madison Square Garden. They 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 you know they switched uh, basically wrestling styles on the fly so that they can have that ideal heel versus face. Uh, type of match and for them being able to change up wrestling style so fluidly was, was even more impressive so certainly you know uh, a, a great list of matches here that you want to check out and I would I would definitely watch those top three for sure
0: yeah I remember seeing I remember watching a couple, a couple of those for the for the history of this and uh, for the research Tanya, you, if you're a fan of the in-ring technician and great in-ring matches can't really go wrong with any of the Owen Hart ones that's for sure well, Jake, I think we've covered uh I think we've done a pretty pretty good job with with Owen Hart. Um a lot of memories, a lot of laughs with the ribs. I mean, obviously not the greatest of notes to end on for Owen Hart's career, but um I think, you know, in summation as far as like my my thoughts overall and I'd love to pick your brain too. Again, Owen's one of those ones that is just like a tragic end, which unfortunately is sometimes all too common in pro wrestling. Um that really I I can't say if if he was unappreciated the time he was around when he was with us, I don't know that for sure. I I think that was the case, and and kind of looking back, you can kind of appreciate him a little bit more. Maybe not like he was underappreciated in WWF, but looking back at this, that's kind of how I felt. Um,
1: Absolutely, and and one little fun fact too is that uh, you know Kevin Owens, you know previously known as Kevin Steen, in you know Ring of Honor, named his son after Owen Hart. And incorporated the name into his own ring name as a tribute right. to both of them, it's, you know, that's to right. Owen and his son. So that's why he's now Kevin Owens.
0: So, what do you what What are your final thoughts on uh, Owen Hart before we wrap things up here?
1: Uh, just, just truly beloved. He was, you know, considered to be one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. Fox Sports dubbed him a genius, and I would be, you know, harding, you know, hard up to disagree with that. He he is just, you know, unfortunately. I, I feel like his legacy can't help but be tainted by his his untimely demise and it with his death being so controversial and his his widow, you know, pursuing legal action and keeping him from being in the Hall of Fame, that that really kinda puts a black cloud over his illustrious career. Uh, he was taken from us way too soon. He had so much potential and, and so much left for, you know, to give everyone, not just the fans, but his family and friends as well. And I, I truly am appreciative that we got to see so much from him as we did. Uh, you know, as much as I'm wishing for more time, I'm thankful for what we did have. And he, he is one of the greats. And, you know, to think how many careers he inspired and, you know, how many of his, his mannerisms and promo abilities and movesets are, you know, I don't want to say parodied, but, but molded right. today for the inspired. new wrestlers. Yeah. You know, he's, he's truly
0: inspiring. So. Couldn't have said any better myself. So uh, that being said, guys, we're gonna wrap up uh, this edition of Wrestling Retrospective. Appreciate you guys tuning in and checking this out. Next month is a big mystery. We don't know who we're gonna be doing next. Uh, it is in the hate. It is then the the hands of fate. In that of Jake DeMarco, it is up to him. But you guys can possibly influence him. Hit him up on social media. Make sure you follow him if you haven't done so already. At countdown ended, and we'll choose or he will choose uh, the next next Wrestling Retrospective. Uh, uh, person of honor, I guess we could say. And again, guys, if you guys want early access to these a month before they come out to the public, you guys can get them as soon as we are done recording these over on Patreon.com slash OKFabe for as little as $5 a month. Not only do you get access to that, you get access to all my other bonus stuff before everybody goes out. of are talking uh, fantasy booking videos, retrospectives of old classic pay-per-view reviews, uh, notes for the Random Wrestling Podcast, and so many other cool perks. So make sure you check it out, Patreon.com slash OKFabe. You get this and so much more. Jake, any last minute things before we wrap up here, uh, Champ, I guess I should say?
1: <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate you having me on yet again. I, I look forward to these greatly every month. And I thank everyone that sent us so many just kind and considerate comments and, and lovely just bits of feedback. You know, people have been thoroughly enjoying this this series so far that you have put on. And I thank you for having me be a part of it. You know, I, I've, I've honestly, truly enjoyed myself thoroughly here. And I look forward to this more than you know. And I have a few ideas for next month. And I'm I'm eagerly awaiting to see what people suggest first. But I, I you know, do have my
0: mind set on one. So we'll see what happens. Sounds awesome. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. We'll see you guys next month for, uh, well, we'll figure out who it's going to be. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Appreciate the love and support. Take care. And as always, take it easy.